Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to bluenile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at bluenile.com for $50 off your purchase. bluenile.com code LISTEN. Hello, I'm Mark Fisher and I'm here at the South Bank Centre in London to talk to Simon Kane. Simon Kane. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Ask the Industry podcast. As you just heard, uh, today's guest is with Mark Fisher. For those of you new to the show, this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the world of stand-up, comedy, writing, review, TV, radio and today, books. This is uh, the first in an ongoing series that I'm going to have on the podcast. It's kind of a sub-series to it all uh, called The Comedian's Book Club. And essentially it's where I'm going to invite on people who have written industry-level books or books on comedy, writing, anything to do with the industry really, to talk about what they do, how they do it, uh, the book itself, what didn't make it in, what did make it in, how they got it made, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I'm really excited. I really enjoyed chatting to Mark. And uh, he's also been a former editor of The List and has obviously reviewed theatre. He's a real ed- Edinburgh veteran. And as a result, I learnt loads from him. And I'm sure everyone will as well. Um, this would be ideal for anyone who was looking at going to Edinburgh in a year's time, which at the moment is 2016. But uh, don't let that put you off now if you are still going up. There's loads in there for everyone. However, um, if you're planning a show in a year's time, good idea to get in early and learn from the professionals now rather than later. And uh, we talk about sort of timescales on where you can get everything done for the Fringe. So I'm really excited about this new sub-series. If you would like a copy of the book, it is called The Edinburgh Fringe Survival Guide. There is a link on the website and there is a link in the show notes, which is an affiliate link for Amazon, which means anyone who clicks that link and buys it through that link gives me 10p and it doesn't cost you any more to do that i know it's not a lot um so don't think oh well it's not a lot i won't do it if you are going to buy it because it, if a if hundred of you do it, it means i get 10 pound or whatever that number works out as numbers are not my strong suit the point is it helps out the show so please do use the affiliate link that'd be amazing very quickly thank you very much for sharing we're very close to thirty thousand downloads so if you could continue to do that that'd be great if you have a friend that you think would benefit from this episode please do link them to it if you've done that and you're like well i've sent it to everyone i know who might be remotely interested in this podcast share it on your facebook the amount of people who are not performers who are listening who email me at the moment is quite nice i get like sort of two or three emails a week which is awesome because i don't want this to become an exclusive comedian thing if it doesn't have to be there are people who are genuinely interested in the industry who are just comedy fanatics or interested in getting into the industry so share it and tag me in it uh, so i know so i can thank you 
that'd be amazing. If you've done that, you don't want to do that, whatever, please do think about giving it a review in iTunes. We're 28 reviews in now. I'd love to get it over 30, just for my own, like, peace of mind. I don't know why. I kind of want to keep the number of reviews above the number of episodes we've had. I know that sounds weird. It's just something I'd really like to happen. I mean, we've still got a few more to go, but it would be great if there was less of a close call, as it were. Um, If you are enjoying this podcast and you'd like to support it in any way, shape or form, you can do so through PayPal on the website. If you just put a monetary value on what you think the episodes have been that you've listened to and you've enjoyed, you know, could be a pound, could be five pound, whatever. If it's a pound, it's 22 episodes, send me 22 pound. That'd be amazing. Every little bit helps. Um, and if you don't want to do that, you can do it a different way, which is support the podcast on an ongoing basis by becoming a patron of the podcast. All you got to do is go to patreon.com forward slash ask the industry podcast, and then you can give as little as $1, which works out about 90p, uh, an, an episode. I do three episodes a month, I get about 80p, but it, that means it will cost you about £2.70 a month, which is like a cup of coffee. And it gives me a budget for the show, it gives me a budget for episodes, and it means that if I need to travel, I don't have to worry so much about the trade ticket costs, or taking a day off work, or whatever. So it would really help if you wanted to become a patron, rather than a PayPal one-off donation. Please do consider it. Honestly, a pound an episode, sorry, a dollar an episode even, is not that much. And it does make a massive difference. If enough of you do that, I'll actually have a budget, which means I can take days off work. Well, I'm taking days off work now anyway, but it means I can take days off work and not take so much of a hit on money, which means I can do this more and spend more time on it and all that good stuff. So check out Patreon. You'll be part of a mailing list and you'll get to know when there are live shows first and all that kind of stuff. So there's great like perks of being a patron. Finally... Last thing before I go on to the podcast itself, my show in Edinburgh has been moved because because I was one of the Calgate head at who lost their show due to the Freest of All PBH whatever issue. I'm not going to get into that right now. Please just Google it if you don't know what that is. Essentially, all you need to know is my Edinburgh show called Buddhism and Cats is now on at Just the Tonic Caves in the spare room there at 7.30pm every night except the 18th and the 24th. Please note that down. Please look it up. Please come because my program listing in the Edinburgh Fringe printed brochure is now wrong. Please do not read it and don't go to that room. I mean, I'm, I mean, unless there's a nice show on in that room, go to it if then. But do still come to mine. It is in the wrong venue, time, place, everything in the program. I can't get it changed. I've lost out on that money. I think it costs 300 quid to list. Ignore that. Basically, I'm I'm pissed about it, but I'm sort of just trying to do my best to get the word out that my show has been moved. If you can tell a friend, if you're not going to Edinburgh, just go and see this guy's show. He's really cool. Whatever you want to say. Whatever you want to say. I mean, don't lie. Like, don't say you've seen it and it was great if you haven't seen it. But do tell them about it because, like I said, I think I've wasted about 300, 350 quid on advertising for it that has now changed simply because PBH did some stuff which lost me my venue. So um, if you would like to support me in any way, the best way would be recommending... uh, The best two ways would be recommending my show to someone who is going to Edinburgh because, like I said, I'm going to have a ball ache of a time trying to convince people to come to it when all the advertising is pointing them in the wrong direction. So it's um, Just a Tonic Caves, 7.30pm every 
night except the 18th and the 24th. Or the second thing you can do that would really help out the show is become a patron for one dollar or more for per episode. I'm only going to do three episodes a month, so it's not going to cost you that much, but it does really help me out, and it will genuinely really help out the show. So please do consider doing either of those things. Without any further delays, if you want to follow along with the podcast, all the questions I asked can be found at simoncane.co.uk forward slash ask the industry podcast. Without any further delays, this is Mark Fisher. That's, I'm going to turn that down because it literally flashed. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about, uh, oh crap, I've lost where we were. We were talking about we were in a sort of social media vibe and getting hits on on websites and that. Sort yeah, because you were saying you've started a blog for your next book. Yeah, so my next book is called How to Write About Theatre, which is about how to write about theatre. It's a book about theatre criticism, and as a way of generating some interest before it comes out, but hopefully not pushing it too much, because it, come it comes out at the, uh, the end of July from Matthew in Drama, and uh, so I've set up a, 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 tw a Twitter account and B, a uh, blog, so that you know Google will start picking it up and, 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 and some people will start associating me as the person who knows about theatre criticism. And we were just saying about the unpredictability of how many people will alight upon one article or not an article, and 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 then trying to figure out well why have, you know why have five hundred people looked at this but only forty people looked at that, and and is it the headline? Is it the subject? Is it it's, it's very is it the day of the week that you've promoted it? Have you not linked in enough? different people There's, there are so many f factors that could affect that oh totally and are, are you are you like being strategic about like so if you've got like a six month plan for blogs so you kind of go this week I'm doing this because it's you know relevant at this point and in a month's time I'll do something like uh, like so basically doing it maybe by chapter so every six every month you do a different chapter to kind of talk about it or are you just doing it as and when something relevant comes I've, up I've gone for the as and when route which is probably you know not the, <laughs> the best uh, there is no strategy so it's obviously not the best strategy uh, and partly actually I was kind of thinking well as long as there's some stuff there on a website that people can look at they'll get a flavour of who I am and, and the things I'm interested in and the way I might write and, and also uh, 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 the way I've been doing it is that for uh, to give an example I'll, I'll just spot something that some there's some typically a contro controversy somewhere so for example there was an article in the uh, Toronto Globe and Mail a review in the Toronto Globe and Mail about an Israeli show which a uh, the, the 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 theater critic had taken issue with the show on the basis of its uh, failure from her point of view to address the whole Palestinian Israel situation in any, in in, in right. any great detail. Yeah. Uh, and then there was a backlash about that. People saying that this writer was biased from a pro-Palestinian point of view, and uh, uh, and so I came, I, I sort of a summed up what various people have been saying, and then tried to make an argument about the inevitability of, an, of anybody's bias when you are a critic yeah so so, so so and that I think that article did attract to a fair amount of attention but then you might do something that I, I don't know what other, I, I, you know a book review or or, or something else on a, on, a, on a maybe less contentious topic and, and there's less debate around it fewer people may be quoted within the article so fewer people will have a reason to, to, to retweet it and uh, and therefore that might be the explanation for, 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 for getting fewer hits. Yeah, it, uh, the thing is, uh, we, we had Liz Mealy on a few weeks ago, and she basically made uh, snippets of her jokes and put them online and made them go viral through just a number of means to seed them out to places. Uh, but the thing is, she had something to sell at that point. So she had like a, a link to her 
uh, uh, first CD essentially, and so sort of did it strategically to coincide with that. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting that you're doing it as like a build-up because like that. I assume. You, I mean, are you doing any sort of capture of data for those people that might be interested in you? Maybe like an email mailing list or like getting to follow the blog or I mean, how how are you? I I, I haven't, and maybe that. I mean, that would be a good idea to do. I, at the moment, it's purely down to Twitter and building up a, a, a following there through my existing Twitter account, which is Mark F. Fisher. And now I've got right about theat. You can't get enough quite <laughs> letters that, yeah. on it. It's always one letter. Yeah, I was it? like, the book is called How to Write About Theatre, so shall I call it How to Write About... Or shall I write about, <laughs> write about the, which are the Which are the, you know, which are the ideal um, uh, you know, combination of letters. So Write About Theat is, um, is what I've got for And that's got, I can't remember, 500, 600 followers or something. And, and I kind of think those are the people that I might imagine would... Uh, be interested enough to buy it or uh, at least retweet about it and and and, ha- and have their own um people who you know people who follow them who, who may then be able to, 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 to buy it so so it's i'm trying to keep it as organic as possible not let it not pushing it too much particularly because the book isn't even out at the moment so i don't want to to get people interested in something that they can't actually buy and just out of end, I suppose I'd finished writing the book, so I thought, oh, well, I better start <laughs> promoting or thinking about the next stage, and that, that uh, and that was before Christmas, uh, and of course, there's still then another six month delay before before it actually comes out. So yeah, yeah. so publishing um, stuff. <laughs> in, in some way, in some ways, I've been I've been jumping the gun, but then quite surprised that as many people did start following it as 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 as, as they have. So or yeah, I should take more tips from you. You can tell me what I should be doing <laughs> rather than I, me telling you what I am doing. Well, no, I'm only asking because I mean I've I've got a book coming out. And it feels like a really weird advert, doesn't it? Now it's like, you've got books coming out. No, I've got, I've got a book coming out at some point this year. I, I say that because I've sort of half written it, and then my editor came back and went, make it better. Like, that was, <laughs> that was, that was the shorthand of all of his notes. And he's very right. I should have done. But So what I've started doing is I've, I've started an email mailing list. So when people find my... Uh, so, for example, the, the way we got in contact was I wrote uh, an indie guide to The Fringe, and you found that I don't even know how you found that article, by the way. I'd be really interested. Probably got a Google search or something. Did you really? Yeah, probably, yeah. yeah. Okay, because I didn't know SEO on that, so that's quite yeah, impressive yeah. as well. So I did a guide to the fringe. Basically, I just basically because I was trying to help people out, like with, yeah, like with this, yeah. where I wrote a month by month breakdown of what I'm going to do at the fringe, recommending if other people yeah. want to follow. Or did just, I see it? Well, I might have seen it on Facebook. That's the other possibility. Did somebody link it on? Link Maybe it on, on a Facebook. I page shared it on Facebook, and a lot of people yeah. shared it. So. I think I saw you. I tell you what, I remember now. Go on. <laughs> this is very incompetent, isn't it? We've, we've spent hours discussing this conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was. It was possibly. Is there? A, was it? Would it have been within the web? Uh, the Facebook group called USA to Edinburgh is that a possibility? Maybe yes I'm a yeah. member of that because yeah. I've got friends in America who come over and so either you or somebody else had commented on that so then I went I, I followed the link and that, that's how oh, I ended cool. up there yeah. right okay yeah. that's interesting okay yeah. uh, why are you a member of that one? Well, in, in terms of promoting my Edinburgh Fringe Survival Guide, uh, the, the, in purely cynical terms, yeah. then keeping aware of the people who are talking about, oh, I've got all these problems about coming to the Edinburgh Fringe, how do I, how, how do I uh, you know, what do I do? Then, again, I think you have to be quite softly, softly, because I don't, don't think people react um, nicely to, to, to being sold something. But if I can genuinely, and I am genuinely supportive of the Fringe, I, I don't think it's a pretense. Uh, if I can say... Uh, you know, hey, this. I'm not particularly good at qu- on questions of accommodation, but if somebody says, "Oh, should I should I perform in the assembly rooms or the pleasance or whatever?" I might be able to come in and say, 
uh, well, actually, it's really useful to talk to someone like Neil McKinnon who, or, or Barry Churchwoods or whatever who'll be able to talk to you about the different venues and different uh, setups. And so there are certain answers that I can give just because the same reason you're talking to me now I suppose uh, that, 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 that I can just occasionally come in and, 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 and join in a discussion so it's, it's, and it's also you know as a journalist who writes about the fringe uh, it's also useful for me to know who's around and what, what people are doing and if sometimes you might pick up on an idea somewhere you don't always but it's, it's, it's really interesting to me because I know I mean I'm, I'm, I've made friends with a lot of journalists and a lot of uh, just from my own journalism and I made friends with a lot of recruit, uh, not recruiters um, reviewers recently and they're all in these groups yeah. and the amount of people that dick around in groups <laughs> and make themselves look like idiots in them and then they go oh they never came to see my show and yeah. you're like well maybe I wonder why <laughs> <laughs> because they saw you and thought, what a prick. Like, <laughs> like, I don't want to hang out with that person. Yeah, um, yeah. Or I don't want to come and see a show from someone who's being that. And I get, because on Facebook you, you forget a lot that there's, you know, that it, feels, uh, it feels like your space a lot of the time. But you do forget that when you're in a group, a public group especially, there's people who aren't in your space who are in your world, as yeah, it were, yeah. that you shouldn't maybe... I think in general it's a huge lesson to, that people need to learn about social media that that you're not in the pub. It feels like you're in the pub having a chat with your mates. But actually, and, and I think, I, I don't know if you feel this as well as a, as, as a journalist, you, I, I kind of think pretty much now anything that I write, whether it's an email, that's to, if I sent you an email, you can still forward that email. You could still, you know, if I, if I badmouth somebody or, or say I can still pick up on it, if, and certainly if it's a tweet or it's a Facebook, it's even a, a Twitter conversation you think you're having between two people, it, it's quite, I find it quite easy to think, to lose track of whether whether this is a private conversation or a public conversation or if people who are following both of you can can listen into it or not whether it's a direct if it's a direct message they can't but but it, I'm never yeah. too sure yeah the only uh, safe way of doing it is offline yeah in yeah. real life in a pub yeah, go, to, yeah. go to the pub yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but apparently we don't want to do that it's yeah. a lot easier to just sit on yeah. the phone and go and like and just send and, that message out and then be like oh no one's gonna see it yeah. And you're like, yeah, we definitely will. <laughs> and, you know, then, then that's why people, you know, they make death threats or they make uh, comments you know, about blowing up airports or whatever it might be that you would, all of us might do at any, you know, at any normal <laughs> conversation. For it because I don't know what you talk about. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh, no, revealed way I'm too much. Thinking that, um, yeah, of course, this will go on the internet. I'm not going to blow up an airport. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going to. Just to confirm, airport. you're definitely not going <laughs> to blow up an airport. Uh, but if you wrote it down, <laughs> <laughs> then then you know people without irony or without context might believe that you are going to do that. Yeah, I'll tell you, I mean, I I went to the Edinburgh Fringe uh, Roadshow in Lon- uh, London a couple of weeks ago, and I met with Bruce Dessau while I was there, and uh, we were just chatting away and stuff. And he just went, um, "Oh, just by the way, um, I, I saw your article about quitting Facebook." maybe don't have a breakdown on Facebook. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I wasn't having a break. If you read the thing, I wasn't having a breakdown. I was just saying I'm cutting it down because it, it hurts me and I don't like it. I'm not enjoying it. Like we were talking about before where it's, it's sort of hard to explain sometimes what a network is to people who aren't on it. And then when you're on it, you're like, don't maybe want to be on this. <laughs> but I have to for work. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's sort of weird. But it's, yeah. it's a good networking tool. Yeah, and it's difficult to know for sure whether it's... I, I, th- I think initially you just have to regard it as a as a fun way of passing your time in between other things, whatever. Uh, because if you think, I think if you went in with the attitude that I am definitely going to profit from this, then then well, you can tell me that because you because you might get employed by people who do who who do want you to to be tweeting for them. But but but. Uh, 
if I think that I'm going to write, sell 10 million, 10 million copies of my book or, you know, or link to articles that millions of people are going to read, then, then I don't know if Twitter and Facebook are the best ways to do that. You might get a few of your existing mates saying, you know, clicking like or whatever, but they might not even be... Even the people that are landing on your website might not actually be reading it. They might stay, stay for a couple of seconds and then go somewhere else. Uh, so it, I, I, I think it can do something to change your profile slightly about how people perceive you, but I'm not totally convinced that unless you're in the kind of Amazon-type category of, of being, you know, really big, then then quite quite difficult to to get a direct effect with social media. But I think you can get indirect effects, you know. You could, yeah, unless you're really lucky. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've got yeah. I've got friends. Of, I've got uh, a couple of friends of mine on Vine recently who who now have ridiculous number of followers, and they can get people to come down and see them, and they can, you know, mm-hmm. and it's and it's. You, you sort of sit there and go, well, I'll get that many followers, but it's like it's not this connection between those people yeah, as well, yeah. and it and it's built up over time. Yeah, and, and and probably also the the nature of the thing that you're promoting makes a big difference. So so you as a, I was looking at some of your stand up uh, oh, d- d- uh, YouTube videos. Thanks for the view. <laughs> <laughs> it went up from four to five, <laughs> uh, and uh, so I could, you know I thought, oh yeah, I, I, I know what you're like. You, you know that, that looked quite funny. That's sort of you get a sense of it. you're not just this quite name funny. of a person. Quite funny. Mab- I mean, that not, a obviously not hilarious. <laughs> obviously, <laughs> obviously not, not something you'd actually want to go and pay and go and see. <laughs> I'm doing free fringe, by the way. Free fringe. Oh. But you know, you get a sense of who you are. And, and but the, the the point I'm making is that the comedy, a certain sort of comedy, pun, a punchline sort of comedy, probably adapts well to 140 character mm-hmm. format. If you were a long narrative storyteller then maybe that would, would that format work quite as well it might be a different sort no, of thing I don't know it, it definitely doesn't I used no. to do one liners now I do them on Twitter because they work there yeah. and I had someone come down I, I have someone who's been following me for about 8 months and they came and saw a preview of mine last no about 2 weeks ago and they afterwards came up to me and said oh hey it's me from Twitter I remember I tweeted you and I went oh that's nice and, you know it's nice it's yeah, like yeah, yeah hi it's nice yeah. how are you doing and then they were like yeah this is so different to what you do online and I was like yeah but I do try and put up as many videos of stuff that you know show that and I do date all my videos so people know that 2 years ago that's what I was doing last week this is what I'm doing so you can kind of get a better idea of it and I know what you mean it's um it's very hard to tell a story on Twitter yeah yeah and I, as, a, as a journalist, I, the easiest thing for me to do is to say, hey, there's an article in The Guardian I've written, here's an art- article in The Scotsman I've written, whatever it might be, because that's just a URL and a, and a quick link to it, and, and it can, can just draw attention to peop- that people's attention. It, it doesn't directly benefit me, I suppose, but it, it, it reminds people that, that I'm out there. So as a journalist, you can do that. But I, so, so the format, format works quite well in, in, in that sense. But when you, when you start having those conversations with people, those sort of intense political conversations, and you, you try and express sophisticated idea, or not as sophisticated as you can, uh, in 140 characters, and, and, you, and then other people start joining in, and the, and the number of characters that you uh, have to your, at your disposal diminishes. Uh, it's not very efficient. <laughs> no, it's, it's annoying as well because you find, like, by maybe five characters to the end, you all of a sudden have a, be- a point you realise you want to make as well. Yeah, and then yeah, you go, yeah. oh, I'm going to have to write one of two yeah, or something. Yeah, and, then, yeah. and then you've got to fit it in two because you've said it was one of two. And yeah. it's just so annoying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Also, you said to me that you are sometimes mistaken as Mark Fisher online. <laughs> That's right. Uh, well, we, there are, a, there are a number of Mark Fishers. Only the other day, this wasn't the, the most recent example... Oh, the, the very most recent example is only the other day I was followed by a Mark Fisher on Twitter. 
and I just thought, oh, that's quite funny. He's following me because for no other reason than, than he's obviously done a search for his own name and uh, and come up with mine and followed me for that reason. And uh, we've had a couple of uh, perfectly genial uh, exchanges, but I do notice that his political <laughs> his place on the political landscape is completely the opposite to me. He's an American Tea Party uh, right winger, <laughs> and, and I'm not one of those things. So I'm just waiting for to see which one of us gets really pissed off <laughs> yeah. with the other one for, for for expressing some view that we find abhorrent. Uh, uh, but prior to that, the Mark Fisher that I uh, who I, I haven't come across on on social media, I think I googled him and, and found him on LinkedIn. But he, he is somebody who uh, is in the, on the same database as the people who are proofreading my next book, uh, yeah. and and uh, they inadvertently tried to commission me <laughs> to do some uh, proofreading job. Basically, that, that really should have well did eventually go to him. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, I, I was sort of pulled off that job for being the wrong Mark Fisher, but being, <laughs> but, but being a sort of eager freelancer who, who just says yes to everything. I thought this is a bit odd, but I'll do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then they said, oh, and then of course I didn't know what I was meant to be doing, and, and they they thought this is he shouldn't be asking these <laughs> sort of basic junior questions <laughs> that I was asking them, and they twigged that um, they actually had two Mark Fishers but there was a there was a Mark Fisher who um was this is of no interest to anybody but for me um um a Mark Fisher who was the shadow minister for the arts uh Labour shadow minister for the arts I'm not he, uh, MP for Stoke-on-Trent I think and I think I once got a, a, a check that uh, from the independent that should have gone to him uh for for because for, for obviously we were, our names were on the same database on that occasion and there is a Mark Fisher who's pretty a- active uh as a uh, left-wing thinker, and he's written a book called Capitalist Realism. So I'm not the I'm not the Mark Fisher <laughs> who wrote Capitalism Realism, though I do sometimes on social media do sometimes get people uh, uh, asking, uh, asking me yeah. clever questions about Marxism or whatever. <laughs> I, I I do show notes for every episode, and I'm looking forward to now having to look up every All Mark, the Mark Fisher Fishers, yeah. and just like put like links to different. And you just have a list of it will say Mark Fisher, Mark Fisher, Mark Fisher. And people can just click yeah, yeah. at random. And, and I think you'll probably find quite a lot of real estate agents in America who have that name as well. I don't know who they are. They're, they're, yeah. Is that a common estate agent name that I'm not it aware of? It seems to be. Well, you know, when I've done... I, is this a bad thing? Is it, this is like taking a selfie, isn't it? When you've Googled your own name. Yeah. <laughs> those, are, those are the people who seem to come up. And how about you? Do you, do you uh, how many Simon Canes are out there? I have a funk band <laughs> that used to exist called Simon Kane. And how they, weird. They have, a, they have a Wikipedia entry. Because I, I tried to make myself a Wikipedia entry at once, right? And you couldn't. And, well, actually, I've tried to make it several times, but they keep deleting it. I tried to make is a it? Wikipedia entry, and when, I, when you type in your name, it says, you know, do you want to check to make sure this isn't the you know, reference that you're talking about? Mm. And I went to it, and it's a, it was a short-lived funk band, but and none of the people in it have got the name Good. Simon or Kane in their name. How weird. And I Googled it to find out if it's like a reference to like uh-huh. a, a fictitious... None. It's just a name they came up with. And it's like um, there's a band I really like called Milburn, and uh, none of them are called Milburn, and um, they called themselves it because someone in the class that they were in when they were at school said, I bet you won't call your band Milburn. And so they <laughs> named themselves Milburn, and I really love them. If you don't know them, look them up. They're blooming amazing. And Stornaway, have no connection with Stornaway either. I've no... Yeah, apparently. <laughs> no, no connection. I've yeah. literally... Uh, everyone, everyone mistakes me... For, uh, everyone says I must be related to Sir Michael Caine because my last name is spelled the same as his. Right. As, and then they always... And then I always say no... And they always insist in checking to make sure that I'm not lying to them. And I'm like, no, I would. Why would I lie about that? Why would I? That would be worth going big on. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> that's definitely something I would say. No, I am. Why? I don't lose it. It's not like you're asking if I am him. <laughs> if I am him, I might go. No, I'm not. I don't want to sign anything right now. But no, it's just it's just mad. But uh, uh, that brings up an interesting question. Um, 
I've been asking re- reviewers if they mind being quoted on in the because when you when you write a review, I'm presuming you don't write it with the intention of certain bits of it being quoted, uh-huh. because you're just writing a review. And do you, do you actually write it with the intention of sort of like this bit might be useful for that show quote wise? Or I, I don't think I th- I, th- I think I've realised rather too late in life that I'm actually quite difficult to quote. <laughs> I think I have. I, I think I think most I hope, reviewers are. I hope most I'm well. Maybe they are. I don't know. I, I, I hope I hope I make myself clear uh, and, and express myself okay. But I I, I think when I, I sometimes think oh, I've written a really good review. Why didn't they quote me on the poster? And and then you look at your review and think well actually. You know, it's full of clauses and yeah. and, thing, and it never quite says this show is the best show you should ever see, and 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 I don't know. Some it's not maybe a direct thing, but maybe an indirect thing. You you sometimes think, well, let's just get to the point here and and, and have a nice chunky phrase that they can quote. But even then, I'm likely to put some some caveat in, in brackets or something right next to it. So so I, I sometimes wonder if I'm quote. I mean, I don't. I don't. You're right. I mean, the, the, in principle, that you're not writing for the poster. And, and if I was writing for the poster, I would think in a, in a different sort of way. And it's not. It, it's an odd thing. There are a number of things as a, as, as a reviewer that uh, that happen because you're a reviewer, but that you're not trying to make happen. So I'm not trying to make my end up on a poster. And I'm also not. If I went to, to one of your gigs and I reviewed you, I wouldn't be reviewing it for you. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be writing for you. I'd be re- reviewing for potential audiences or people who'd seen it or yeah, totally. future historians or whatever. But, <laughs> but not really for you. Yet the only the only person I know who will definitely definitely read this review is either you or your mum or your girlfriend, whatever yeah. it might be. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe you don't read. Some people don't read their own reviews, which is fine. But it's a weird thing knowing that the that that. The, the, the one group of people who are most interested in yeah. reading your reviews are the ones that you're not actually writing for. So yeah, definitely, so, and very difficult to put to put that out of your head because if I give you a bad review, I know it'll hurt, and and I'm thinking, well, it's all these other people who may be at, at the gig, who I sh- I'm on their side. You know, I I don't want them to waste their money going to see a bad gig. Um, uh, not that reviewing is all about see it, don't see it, but you know that's an element of it. I don't mind a bad review. Don't give me a bad review, but I don't. <laughs> I don't mind a bad review as long as it's constructive yeah. as to how you thought it was bad. Yeah. The worst reviews I ever read are the ones where the reviewer just goes, oh, "I was rubbish. I didn't enjoy myself." But then why? Why didn't you? Yeah, enjoy, yeah, what was yeah. the thing? And it, it's not. It's usually a student reviewer. If I'm honest with you, it's never. I mean, you're you're quite. Stuff. I've read a lot of your stuff, um, and I know your writing style. It's why I know you, but I didn't know you'd written the. I didn't make the connection between you and the book. But, I don't right, know if yeah. that's what you. Want, you thought, I was, writing, you want to hear you thought I was writing capitalist realism, didn't you? <laughs> Basically, yeah. <This> is <laughs> I'm the wrong sorry podcast. to disappoint you, <laughs> but it's it's yeah, it's one of those things. So because you because you don't immediately connect people necessarily. It's like um, when I meet someone, sometimes I think, oh, their Twitter handle because you because you figured yeah, them yeah, off yeah. of there kind of thing. So I didn't make the connection between your writing in the Guardian, for example, uh-huh. and your book. Yeah. I just got the book because someone said to me, this book will benefit you. In fact, I think I think it was you wrote to me after I'd written the article and said you might like this book. Uh-huh. And I asked some friends, has anyone read this book? And one person said, yes, I have. You'd like it. It's, it's good. <laughs> it's the best book I've ever read. Well, no, because in the last way, I thought you'd be biased. <laughs> Well, in your course, own book yeah. and, and uh, as much as your book is great <laughs> I just didn't I just don't trust an author necessarily no, no. about their own work yeah. um, I wouldn't uh, but this way when I have my book out I'm going to say it's great but I hope they won't all take my word yeah. for it I hope and, I, and, I think and it's why I'm sending out pre, like copies to people ahead of time because I want them to do some of the marketing as well not in a I can't be bothered kind of way but in a 
your opinion matters way more than my opinion because ultimately in a tiny way do you ever like have this yeah. bit where you've written something you've written a book and you sort of go it is a bit shit though like by comparison to some other books I've read yeah, where yeah. you go it's not as good it's, I wish and it was better you, and you can see the, you know you, those, those bits where it doesn't quite flow or you know the, yeah the, yeah the, yeah so uh, you, um, but, but and I think the, the point that you're making is that uh, I think it's a really important one which is the word of mouth is way more important than than, than getting one person's review your, your own opinion or you know even, even the opinion of a critic it's like it's, it's your mate saying oh I've, I've uh, this you know this band are great let's go and see them it's that that the thing that's going to be persuasive and you know you put on a good show the audience likes it the audience goes and tells their mates and and that's far more i mean it, that it might reinf- be reinforced by written reviews or uh, interviews or some you know a, a, a marketing material of, of, of various sorts but it's it, it's really your friends reassuring you and say well they've i know them i know their tastes and they've got no reason to to bullshit me yeah so of course i'm going to believe them and if i'm looking for something to do then that's what i'm gonna i'm gonna go down and and uh i was gonna say before we started off talking about social media and your opinions about uh about justifying opinions within a review and the the thing about opinions is that Everybody's got one. There isn't a single person. We're sitting in the... Uh, where are we? The Royal, South, the, the, the Royal South Festival Bank, Hall. Royal Festival Festival Hall. Hall. Uh, if anybody goes to see a show tonight here, um, there won't be a single person who comes out without, with no opinion. They, 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 might be, they might say they don't understand it, they might love it, they might still hate it. Could, it's yeah. still an opinion. Mm. And anybody on Twitter who who's, who's listens to something, go, goes out to see something, whatever, they'll all have an opinion. So there's nothing at all special about having opinions. The only thing you can say as, 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 as a critic is that you can take it one step further and say, well, why did you have this opinion? And, it's, and that, those are the things that are, will make people read you or make your stuff if, if not necessarily agree with you, but will understand what it is that you're saying, whether you're an artist or, a, or an audience member or a researcher or whoever you are, whatever reason you might have to, 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 to read it. So do you, I mean, as a reviewer, do you think that your reviews, not in a big-headed way, but do you think your reviews start word of mouth or do you think they complement it? Ooh, that's a good question. I'd like to think, I, I, I quite often say that I like to think that my reviews are the start of a conversation, not the end of a conversation. And I'm very comfortable with the internet world that we're now in, which is that people can join in and, and, and uh, debates can go on online between people that you might, as you say, that you might never meet in real life. Uh, 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 whereas, you know, in the old sort of classical template of, of, of the newspaper reviewer writing from on high, and it would be this, this sort of tablet of stone, this is the opinion that the Times has about this particular show. Well, you know, that seems a bit final, and, and um, that doesn't really interest me. And I think even, bef- even before the internet, my, I hope my way of writing would be, hey, we all went to see this show this is what I thought, what did you sh- thought? And that's the sort of, that, that's not said explicitly, but that's implicitly the way that I would have, I approach. So whether, to answer your question, whether that goes in parallel with word of mouth or, or generates word of mouth, I mean, it must be a bit of both, but, but, but I would like to think it's connected with word of mouth. Do you, so like, do you go into the comments of your articles and get involved with the conversation then? A little do bit. It doesn't happen as much, I think it happens... The the, uh, the Guardian do encourage you as a writer to, to do that if, if if it happens. But the weird thing about writing about theatre, which is what I mainly do, is 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 that it's seen in small places, like to an audience of two hundred at a time. So there's actually quite rarely a critical mass of people who are interested in one review 
to get a discussion going. You know, some right. people people do read it, but they they they're not they haven't necessarily seen the show themselves, and so you know, they might pick up on a on a. Somebody did the other day. I, I misused a word. I used a word wrongly, and so somebody said, "I think you're fine." <laughs> you know, so you might get that sort of thing, which is fair enough. Uh, but it's quite rare, I find, that, that, you, that you actually get much of a discussion. And, and, and I think that's a shame because the Internet has that capacity to do that. Often it seems to be that if you mention Kylie Minogue in passing, you get all the Kylie Minogue fans saying, well, I really like Kylie Minogue, and it goes off in some other direction that you can't really comment on anyway. But um, uh, And also I think if I've, if, I've, if I've given my opinion, if I've said this is my re- these are my 300 words... Uh, either good or bad or whatever it might be and then someone comes on and says oh you didn't like it but I really did I kind of think well I don't want to stick the boot in any more than I have done I, you know, what more can I say, yeah. I can't say well, all I can say is well I'm glad you liked it but I, yeah. it doesn't seem reasonable for me to uh, you know, might, if, if they've picked up on a point of uh, detail so, for, so, for, so for, there was an example of a show in Scotland that was in the uh, fringe or just, uh, that just and, and no it was, it was through, it, it, in the year and it was about uh, a musician who was very popular as a sort of as a bio bio drama, uh, and so all the pe- all the fans of this particular musician were sort of naturally predisposed to, to liking it, and I liked him well enough as well. But the, I thought there were some weaknesses of the show, so I said so that in my review. But then you got people coming on saying, "Oh, but I really like him. What you know? Why don't you like?" It? As if I should like the show just because I like the musician, and and, and so then you might have to try and explain yourself in a little bit more detail, saying, "No, I'm not saying." I don't, there's anything wrong with the musician, but I thought there were some weaknesses of the show. But um, yeah, so I do. I like. I, I like the idea of being involved in a discussion, and I'm perfectly up for the idea that someone can say I'm talking rubbish as well. <laughs> I'm interested. Is that contractually with you and the Guardian, or they just say if you want to, it's it'd be not, really good. If yeah, you... if you want to. Yeah. In fact, it's quite a difficult thing to con- contract you to do because it get yeah, that would they get, might never yeah, comment. Yeah. Because yeah. I find. I mean, for me, I mean, I, I've done some work social media wise with different publications, and the thing I always encourage them to do is have conversations with their audience because that's the thing that will make them stand out differently because yeah, yeah. uh, you know if, if, if there's a review for a show on five different publications you might go to it because you feel a bit of loyalty to that thing but what you're really going there for is for the comments the discussion that's yeah, happening yeah. it's a bit like YouTube or, or, or podcast yeah. you know you're, that's what you're interested and in and actually when you see the article just in the headline and, and you realise that it's got 22 people commenting you think oh something interesting is going on there I'll exactly, go and see what yeah. that discussion is and, and I do think one thing that does happen you've probably discovered this as well that uh, if you do go into a discussion you sometimes get someone it's 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 my, equi- my the equivalent in my head is is someone who's driving a high performance car and they sort of become a different creature. They might be very mild, meek and mild in real life, but you get into behind the wheel of and you become this terrible aggressive tailgating driver who's who's causing havoc on the roads. The internet is very like that as well because uh, you can hide behind an often an anonymous name yeah. on the internet and you and you can be you know rude and and dismissive and 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 often when you get somebody like that and you come on hi i'm mark fisher i wrote this article and you know thanks for your comment but yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. you suddenly realize that they you find them backtracking and and, and saying oh yeah i didn't really and and, and they become <laughs> a, you then start having a more subtle conversation because it isn't that extreme of you're an idiot i'm you know i'm clever whatever it's it's it, you, you realize that you've actually got quite a lot in common and one person's it, you know it might be a misunderstanding it might be anything but um uh, uh that once that an- anonymity 
is dropped, I think you get much more productive conversation. Yeah, pe- people, especially online, jump straight to the extreme. Yeah, and and it, I don't, I, I don't think it's just anonymity. I think it's, I think it's more. You don't think there's a repercussion, so yeah, you go yeah. not, not, not just because of anonymity. Because sometimes you're on Facebook where your name's there and you've mm-hmm. got hundreds of friends that can see it and stuff. But you just think, well, let's send that into the world, and then I'll go off and I'll, you know, whatever. No one will care. No one will read it. Like, like we said at the start. But in reality, hundreds of people are reading it, uh, and it's there forever. Yeah. So even if hundreds <laughs> of people have haven't read it over the course of 10 years a million people might read it and and might find it just from a random search mm-hmm. like you said with your blog where you yeah. just it just comes up yeah and you don't think about it it's kind of like don't put something online and don't be a dick it's probably yeah that's that's all we've that's got so mantra. far yeah <laughs> <laughs> and what, what do you think of the star rating system then um star ratings Shall I speak in favour of them before I speak against them? One of the things that you may observe about star ratings is that even though people like me will often rail against them, when we meet each, when other theatre critics meet each, when we meet each other, we'll, um, we never talk about the show we've just seen, but we'll talk about the show that we've written about the night before or the, <laughs> the week before. They'll, we'll say things like, oh, I gave it a three, but, you know... It was almost a four. It was like, and we'll use this shorthand of, of, of star ratings because we do understand something about it. And 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 uh, the, the problem with uh, the thing about stars is that they are they are very very blunt. And as a writer, what you want is to people to to read your words. And I was just talking about opinions, and everybody has opinions, and so everybody can probably find their position on the one, two, three, four, five scale. Uh, and that's really not very interesting. It's it's only as it might be work as as, as a recommendation recommendation to go and see this or not go and see it but uh, one thing I particularly feel with stars is that there's no way of distinguishing between a show that I would really like to go and see which is the show that is hugely ambitious but fails uh, and to distinguish between that and the show which isn't ambitious at all but succeeds in its limited ambition now in both right. cases you might give it three stars the, 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 this one failed in its ambition but it was really good a, try, a good attempt so it has to get three because it didn't win <laughs> didn't succeed and this other show which, which um, didn't try much but you know did it well enough uh, and that's also a three so anybody looking at those two things would think well these, some, there's some sort of comp- comparability between these shows and it's really like, you know, is an apple the same as a banana? They're both four-star four fruits, but there's no way that an apple is the same thing as a, as, as a banana. And uh, so that's actually a tangent. I don't know whether the banana is no, no, an apple. No, I understand what you're the saying. bananas and apples they might be a They don't taste the same, but there is something in... You still get the nutritional value out of both. Yeah. Something like yeah. that. And, <laughs> and so uh, only by reading the... So, so then if, you, if, you, if you're writing and you know that you've got these stars, do you deliberately bump up the ambitious thing that you want, that you want people to go and see by giving it more stars than it's actually worth and, make, and, and that might make you seem less critical? Or, yeah, so you, or do you, 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 there are some interesting things you can do with stars, which is that you can write an enthusiastic three-star review and a less enthusiastic four-star review, so you're sort of playing against it. But if you think about it in terms of uh, percentages, if, if, each, if, if each star rating is equivalent to 20%, so uh, the five stars would be anything between 80 and 100, uh, that means that there's pretty broad areas between, and we're going to get my maths right here, the, the, the six, 60... So I'm going to start this very, very carefully. <laughs> the... the the, the, so uh, well, one star is 20%, two stars is 40%. So t- 
three stars is 60%. So the distinction between 59 and 61 is pretty small, but it could be the distinction between two stars and three stars. And I, will f- I do find that quite often I wouldn't have to change a single word of what I've written uh, to be happy about moving something down from a four to a three or up from a three to a four or whatever, because actually the words say what you feel and, and it really depends on on which category you put it into and it wouldn't I'm fairly certain with a conversation if I if met you afterwards and you said well what about this what about that and we you know we would come to some negotiation that, that there probably wasn't that much distinction between it, it might seem that you and I have a huge discrepancy because you've given something two stars and I've given something four stars but actually you could talk me down to a three and I could yeah. talk you up to a three and, and we'd be really in the middle ground somewhere I, I the more I think about it the more, the more reviewers I meet the more I think it's probably harder for you to pick a star rating than write the review probably, sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it can cripple you. You can think, what am I going to give? What am I star rating going to give? Yeah, because it's also, a lot of the time, the thing most people look at because yeah, they're all yeah. lazy. So, like, and also it's the thing that like, PR people would just go, well, it's yeah. four stars. Let's chuck that on the poster. Let's not even look, re- read through it and see why it was four stars yeah. or whatever. So, if, if I should say that if people are listening to this, we're actually part of a cult. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, there's a, a group of people nearby who are uh, practicing speaking, I think. Is the, I don't know. I don't know what's happening so um i'm hoping that it won't impact the recording too much <laughs> we may have to move but then there's a door the other way sorry yeah we're it's, cult. I'm, I'm on a i'm on a budget give me a break um are you ever limited then by the number i mean either in your own mind or journalistically like maybe by the publication by, by the number of five stars you can give because i mentioned if like you went and saw a run at edinburgh of like four shows and you thought oh these are amazing yeah. and then you went back and gave them four five star reviews i'm, I'm imagining the publication would be like you sure? You right, yeah, you, you. I don't know if it. Well, sometimes it's explicitly said, um, and the fest, the Edinburgh Festival, is a good is, is the sort of time that it would be said because, because actually, for all I've said against star reviewing, when you when you have a choice of a hundred shows in a day or a hundred shows in an evening, um, then the uh, then actually you are, there's are, there is a lot of people looking for advice, and the, and the distinction between a five and a four is is pretty crucial, uh, and so it does pay for an editor to say look we've really got to be tough about this and you know the list magazine for example will uh you know make it clear to the reviewers in advance of seeing stuff that you know five should be very special you maybe see one or two five star shows in the run of the fringe and if if, if it's more than that maybe maybe you're being too generous and for a four star should be a pretty good recommendation uh, so sometimes it's done explicitly but i think uh, for me it, it's it's just implicit so that uh, and it would be particularly if I'm writing th- through the year for the Guardian. You're thinking, well, this is a national newspaper that is the the the. So if my, and particularly say the production a production of a, cl- a classic play. So this production of King Lear, if I think it's really good, you know, yeah, we'll say that. But you're kind of thinking, well, is it the best production of King Lear that's been on in the past decade in anywhere in the UK? And you think, well, it's hard to tell. I haven't seen them all, but 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 chances are that that there's could be something better so you're, you're sort of a little bit conscious of of of, of, of not being too generous and also that you know stopping yourself from get, there is a ten, temptation to get wage inflation uh, wage inflation star inflation so that so that if you've seen one three uh, a show that was three stars and they think well this one's better so i'll give that four stars this one's even better than that i'll give it five stars and suddenly you've got no you know headroom to to go any more than that so 
Yeah, and I can, I can imagine if you've seen a performer three or four, t- or, a, or a production company three or four times, you sort of think, well, they didn't have a good night tonight, but I've seen them have good nights. So it's sort of your, not your bias, but your natural human like inclination of what you've seen them do before might yeah. be like, well, I, you yeah. know, it's a free, st- I want to say free stars, but I've seen them do better and I do want to see this go well. So yeah. it, it's, it's sort of, that's the other issue with re- reviewing in general and, and I was just there was somebody that I just came across on Twitter who'd linked to a blog that she'd written and, and she was quite clear to she, within this blog to, to say that she regarded herself she made the distinction between calling herself a, a reviewer rather than a critic which I think by she didn't explain what she meant by that but I think what she meant by that was that she was more of a fan and an enthusiast than somebody with, who, was, who was the sort of uh, you know authoritative uh, opinion uh, but she was. She wrote this blog in response to people who had been uh, criticising her for being too generous. And within the thing, she linked to the very first review she'd ever done. It's just a sort of young reviewer. Uh, and 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 I did. I sort of went on. I thought, well, what, let, I wonder what she's talking about. So I went on, and, and the, the very first thing that she'd done, she'd given a five star review to. But even within the blog, she was saying that her editor, whatever website she was writing for, had been saying this thing. You should, you know, five stars should be pretty rare. And yet, by the a, a huge statistical fluke, the very very first thing that she'd seen was a five star show. And you, you know, if you've got any sense of um, Perspective, you think, well, that's to me that seems slightly unlikely that this would have been a five-star show. So, it, it, if you just sort of, it, it, it's difficult because you, 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 you know, two days later you think, oh yeah, maybe I was just caught up in the heat of the moment and uh, it was a perfectly good show, but it doesn't, you know, that, that that tingle down your spine moment, which is what I often look like look for in a five-star review. That that that, you know, did I get that? Did I not get that? Was it really a you know a good four? Do you? I mean, because the thing is, a lot of friends of mine who are audience members essentially for show they don't do performance at all so they are they, that's what i look at them at they're just audience yeah, yeah and a lot of them they go oh, okay i'm just looking for the four or five star shows so do you think it's audiences perpetuating performers feeling like they need to get those stars or because i mean i three stars to me is still a very good review yeah yeah i mean i think anything less than that you'd need to reconsider what your show was in my opinion i mean would that be fair I would like to think so, and and, the, and and you know you were saying about what goes through your mind when you're awarding stars. The the sad thing, if you're a critic, is that you know that if you put three stars on the top on top of something, that many people won't re- read it. You think, oh, that's just an average three stars. I won't bother reading with that. Actually, there could be all sorts of interesting stuff going on within it, but for some reason, it doesn't. You know, it, it doesn't hit the mark in some particular respect, and that that's a weird thing as a as a writer, knowing that people that you're deliberately writing something advertised as don't bother reading this and 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 i say that as someone you know for example i don't write about music but i like music and so you know when the whatever it might be the the guardian on a friday has um uh music reviews so i'll I'll read you know quite a lot of music reviews but the ones i read are the ones that are four star and five star and i think oh i'll go on spotify and listen have a listen to that myself that's i'm using it as a as a as, as someone who has a casual interest in music but i'm not as young as i was and i'm not listening to it all you know i need some sort of guidance so why would I bother listening to a three-star record? I haven't got enough time <laughs> to do that. And so you and, do the same so, thing so as we I, do. So I do it the same. So yeah. it would be hypocritical of me to, to, to criticise anyone else doing that to my review and insist yeah, that they read every beautiful word that I write. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. And what are, uh, what are your... I mean, this is this would be coming from a theatre angle, I should point out, because you, you only review theatre, is that right? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Pretty yeah. much. Yeah. So... 
uh, are there many I don't know this because I'm comedy so I have I, I'm literally asking you now are there many are like, there many theatres <laughs> no 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 are there, are there any theatres in the country <laughs> no are there any are there many student reviewers in because when you go to Edinburgh there are a lot of student reviewers for things like the list and three weeks and stuff yeah. who get employed to fill in the gaps from the professionals like you who can't who've been going long enough that you know you can't go and see everything it's not physically possible and obviously they want to get as many things reviewed as possible so that people go to their website yeah, yeah. I totally get that but then you've got the downside of you know these people don't have as much experience now comedy generally is the stuff they want to cover because it's a very heavily comedy slanted festival yeah, yeah. In, is it the same in theatre or is there enough like is there is there so little not little theatre but you know what I mean there's so much less theatre there that you can get round enough of it that they don't need student reviewers uh, it's it would be interesting to analyse exactly how that broke down what I would say is sort of yes you do get a lot of young uh, reviewers and in some ways in some ways theatre is more vulnerable to this because because it's quite difficult to to you have to put in the legwork if you're going to be a, 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 to have any authority as a theatre critic you have to go and see plays basically you can't if you're writing about, if you're writing about music then you can listen to the radio and, and if you're writing about cinema everybody's always watching films on the telly or whatever uh, uh, and these days, even even stand up. This wasn't always true, but stand up now you can watch live at the Apollo or whatever. So you can have a pretty good range, even without trying. You can have a pretty good sense of the the landscape. Uh, with theatre, you have to work. You have to go to theatres, and 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 so if so, it's slightly easier, I think, if you if you're starting out to be caught out for, through your ignorance uh, about you know the, you're always seeing people saying this is the most amazing show ever, possibly like the person I was just talking about. Uh, because it's the only thing you've seen ever and, and, and getting that, you know, calibrating it in such a way to understand what's, what's good and what's brilliant is, is, is harder. Um, as someone, I, I edited the List magazine um, for three years from 2000 to 2003 and, and, and had, been, uh, had also been the theatre editor before that uh, and sort of in, in charge of a lot of the fringe operation and, and it really seemed to me that um, there were more there were more people who wanted to write about uh, pop music, films. Actually, maybe not comedy at the time, but possibly that might have changed. I think maybe there's maybe more people who want to write comedy now um, uh, than the way theatre, anyway. Because and, and so it was quite rare to come across somebody who seemed to know what they were talking about and wanted to write about theatre. That seemed to be quite rare. So it's just, it, it's, it's different, but probably the, probably very similar to, to the the thing that you're you're, you're talking about because. I don't know. I think the thing about comedy is that if you go in and you laugh, then that, that's the, 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 there's a. I don't know. It's a bit more cut and dry, doesn't it? Either, either you laughed or you didn't laugh. It's, it's you, you. You couldn't say a show was funnier than the audience found it. It can only be that funny, can't it? So, uh, whereas for a, like, a, if you were an art reviewer going to an art gallery, you can see, you can claim that this thing has all sorts of profundities and hidden meanings that you saw, and maybe you did see them, uh, that, that maybe other people didn't see. Where, whereas be quite hard to say this thing was really really funny when nobody was laughing that's that's quite a hard case to make yeah it's quite hard to tell but there, i mean there are i mean i've i've had friends of mine who have had who have got really good reviews and they've openly said to me i didn't think that was going to get a good review because they weren't laughing very hard it wasn't like a, it was an awkward room or whatever yeah, but yeah. It's, it's one of those things where if you can see that it was funny but the room was awkward or the audience weren't getting it or or there was just something just anything like variably wise that just wasn't working because often with comedy there's a mob mentality that builds with a show especially so you start off sort of small and, and eventually everyone sort of is on one page where they kind of understand your worldview and they're mm. uh, melding to that worldview or, or, or whatever you're doing 
And so as a result, if they're not really going for it, but you are going for it, you sort of feel a little bit like, I don't want to laugh. I don't want everyone thinking I'm, I've got a shit sense of humour if no one else is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So if you're the and, and, and I do say one of the fantastic things about the reason I, I really love writing about what I will call live art, it doesn't really matter whether it's, you know, whether it's theatre or comedy or whatever it is, it's, it's the liveness. And you've just what you were just saying has put me in mind, I think it was two fringes ago... Uh, I'm going to forget the, the comedian, but there was, it, for some reason, it was one of those mad fringe nights where you know one thing led to another. And uh, scene one, I'm at the assembly rooms on George Street, watching. I'd snuck in at the back, watching some sort of stand-up uh, variety charity raising type thing. And then scene two, not long, maybe half an hour later, ending up at the Stan Comedy Club, where the same comedian was doing the same set that he just. It was someone like Robin Ince. I can't remember who it was. Uh, was doing the same set. Or David, Do- David Doherty, I think it might have oh, been. Oh, for DOD, uh, yeah. D- yeah he, he, <laughs> he, he, he had gone down perfectly well at the assembly rooms, but you saw him in the stand and it was just amazing. And it was exactly, and what was fantastic about it was seeing it on the same night and seeing just how the, by being in a smaller space with a group of comedy aficionados who are slightly more tuned into it, uh, how, how different those two experiences were. And, uh, and I'm sure everybody in the assembly room said, oh, yeah, that guy was really great. I'm sure they, they would have had a good experience. But they, I can tell you the experience was that much better, seeing him at the stand in a small, or for all of those uh, atmospheric reasons. Uh, and, and, and if you're writing about theatre uh, or any live art on a night-by-night basis, you know, if I go to see, if I was reviewing your, you doing a gig, then there's so many different factors that might influence your performance, my mood, the audience's mood, the, the relationship that you have with the audience, how closely tight-knit they are, how, close to, how distant you are from them f- physically within the building, how, uh, you know, what, what the news about the election is in the newspapers, whether everybody's really annoyed about something, whether they're troubled by a, a, a natural disaster in another country. And all of those things will, could potentially have some interplay on, on your particular performance that particular night, and, and it will be different the next night. And it, there isn't really a right or wrong about that. It was just, this is what it was like when I was there that night. It's the moment. Yeah. 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 And the, I mean, the Stand Comedy Club are known for bringing in quite comedy aficionados. Yeah. They're kind yeah. of very focused on the performer and making sure that, especially, um, I was looking into their booking, not their booking policy, their, their payment policy and stuff for the fringe. And they're very much trying to make sure that the, the comedian doesn't go home in debt. <laughs> like, that's yeah. their yeah. main thing. Yeah. And it's really nice. So I imagine that when you're doing, when he's doing that show, DOD in this case, when you're doing that and you've got sort of less worry on your mind, maybe because you're doing a gig, yeah. you know you're not going to go home five grand in debt yeah. and, and everyone in the room to come maybe for your name yeah, a bit yeah. more and so there's, there's all kind of stuff that can come into it and, and comedians will talk about the, the Edinburgh Fringe in particular is that you're you know for the rest of the year you might be playing to hen nights or whatever it might be people who are there because their mates have said oh let's go hey I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I want to see this thing. On, on, on the fringe, you've got people who are comedy fans, and they are uh, particularly at somewhere like The Stand, uh, and maybe The Gilded Balloon and, and, and so on as well. Uh, you've got people who are there because they really, really, really like comedy, and that uh, level of attentiveness and so on means that people do much more uh, interesting, elaborate, hour-long sets that they just wouldn't be able to use anywhere else because there isn't, you know, they would have to go to art centres or something because there isn't the... Uh, there isn't the same market for that. Yeah, definitely. And when and when you're reviewing something, um, do you take because obviously you go for free essentially. So yeah. do you take into account the ticket price when you're reviewing it? I I I don't, and I'm quite um, not everyone agrees with me on this, but I, I kind of think well, I know what I find is an expensive ticket, but I don't know what you find is an expensive ticket, and how uh, in what in what way would. I, I, I might, you know, discover that a, a show is outrageously expensive. What I think is outrageously expensive, but 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 I, I don't know how I would, and I might comment on that. But I, I don't know how I would assess the nature of a work in relationship to to the money. But I think because it's that that just sort of commodifies everything, and 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 and, and I'm ultimately I'm not trying to give. Uh, the sort of user guide that you might get on on, on Amazon. You, you know, I'm buying a washing machine, uh, you, you, so so you have certain parameters. You, you've got a budget of five hundred pounds, and you want it to be able to do spin drying as well as whatever else a washing machine can do. Uh, but uh, and, and therefore, an expert on washing machines can tell you, well, actually, if you get this one for five hundred pounds, it can do this. If you've got a little bit more money, it can do some other bells and whistles, and that can be a, a fairly clear relationship. But if I'm if I'm reviewing a, a, a show, you know, think if it was musicals. So how 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 would I know that 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 you had a certain budget? I don't know what that is. And how would I also know that this could be the only show that you might go to all year? So you, so that therefore spending a hundred pounds to go and see Phantom of the Opera might be uh, a, a better investment than if you were going three nights a week. Uh, and and then on top of that, well, how do I know that you're going to like a a show that's about cats or a show that's about set in, 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 in a monastery somewhere. The, 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 there are, if, if I'm really trying to be a consumer guide in, the, in, in, in that way, I, I think that's, where the, that's, that's why I'm talking about being a consumer guide because if you start talking about money, then, then you are a consumer guide and unless you've got a very, very clear idea of who your readers are, I really don't know how you would, how you would judge that. Yeah, apart from in the broader sense that oh, this is free. That's that that seems like a good deal, and the free fringe <laughs> is 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 the prime example of that because you don't you really don't lose anything, and and you have the opportunity to give a fiver at the end if you want to. Do people give you a fiver at the end of a free fringe gig? Some do. Yeah, <laughs> it's one of those things where um, 
well, this is off topic and I'll probably edit it out. But the first year I went up, I got a lot of student people coming in, like very young, like mm-hmm. literally they're all about teenagers, maybe early 20s, who came and very rarely donated, but all seemed to be having a good time. Yeah. And then last year I did, I did my whole show for charity. So uh, the bucket was prostate cancer's bucket. And I sort of, I would have broken even essentially, but it all went to prostate cancer. <laughs> so I don't know so still if it was, yeah, so I don't know if it was, well, because I know, because I, I knew how much I was going to, because the thing is it did, it did me a lot of good because it meant that I, I had to budget better and it means that I now budget better this year which is great because yeah. you sort of think if I spend a pound there yeah it's a pound but then you know like it's just, it just adds up and you, and you sort of think about it differently but you all, I suppose you also don't know whether they were giving it because it was prostate cancer yes. rather than you know, it wasn't very funny but it's prostate cancer come on and that, yeah. could, be, that well, could be the motivation well that's the thing I mean like some people they didn't donate and they didn't give stuff and I don't know whether that's because they didn't find it funny or because they don't like the charity or something else so I'll find out this year whether I'm shit. <laughs> That'll be fun. Think of a new reason why they won't pay. You'll see, Bruce will be seeing me having another breakdown in September. <laughs> That's going to be fun. Um, so you, you review for a lot of different places. You're, you're freelance. Yeah, you... I'm freelance and yeah, I'm a gun for hire. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. So do you, when you are coming to review someone in Edinburgh, for example, do you email ahead of time and say, I'm coming and by the way, I'm reviewing for this publication or do you is that not necessary and you don't need to do that well actually if we're, if we're sticking on the topic of the free fringe that's that raises an interesting all sorts of interesting dilemmas one of which the, the, there's really no reason to alert anybody because the free fringe shows are rarely sold out and 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 you're not paying money anyway so so never so, come to see one of mine so, so, I mean. well maybe they are yeah <laughs> so so, so uh, yeah so that you go along to a free fringe show there's no need to get the ticket in advance and, let, and very few fringe show, free fringe shows have press officers attached to them anyway. It'll just be the performer themselves. Uh, and, and, and then you're in the dilemma thinking, well, I'm, you know, whether you're, whatever you thought of the show, I'm thinking, well, I'm probably earning, well, certainly earning more than this person is performing. So you feel bad about <laughs> just exploiting them. It feels like you're exploiting them, even though you're, you might be there professionally. So I tend to, do, I tend to give money when I go to a free fringe show, even, even if I'm technically... I wouldn't do if it was if it was a paid for show if you see what I mean. Uh, so that was that's very specific to the free fringe though. Um, but in 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 general, I will go to the, either the press officer associated with the company or the press officer associated with the venue. Uh, so if I go if I go to the Travis Theatre, the Travis Theatre has a year round press officer and, and and during the festival takes on assistance as well, and they're the person I go to, and then they. Uh, they're sort of in control of you then they give you the ticket and they they know that what you're doing there they'll probably say well who are you reviewing it for is it you know all the that, that, and that I, I think from a performance point of view that gives a very useful distance between the critic and the artist because uh you know if there's any complaints then there's somebody in the middle who can can deal with that or or whatever the opposite of complaint is if there's any issue whatsoever then 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 uh there's no embarrassment about the, 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 there's, a, there's someone in the middle to, to, to act as, as a sort of buffer. So, do you think there are too many middlemen or, or middlewomen in comedy or in, in performance in, in comedy, general? Yeah. That. Um, it's tempting to say yes when you look at the way the arts administration has gone. Maybe actually, probably not so much in comedy venues because they tend to work quite uh, because they're at the commercial end of the market the more, it seems to me that the more commercial end the more commercial you go in the market the, the, the leaner and, and, and meaner the staff are um, because they, they can't afford any uh, uh, you know they can't afford people with 
sort of punty titles they have to just get on with the job and sell the tickets to the customers and, and get out there uh, and uh, in in what it's, it's very difficult to say this because there are lots of lovely people who seem to be doing lots of interesting and worthwhile jobs uh, Be all right now. The performance is going to start in one minute. <laughs> one minute. Yeah, um, but it does seem to me that there are there there are more people employed in in theatres now than there were twenty years ago, and and I wonder what they're all doing and and are they, you know, bringing more audiences in? Your question specifically is a comedy. I suppose there is, um, and I become aware of it during the during the Edinburgh Fringe, is that there is this uh, industry associated with comedy, which is really built up again um, over over the past. 20, 25 years uh, where people have realised, the big comedy agencies have realised that if you nurture uh, younger comedians at the start of their career, they can eventually be doing, you know, things on Dave, uh, you know, within a few years. And so there's quite a, there is a there's a, you know, there's there's, there's big money to be had. And so uh, because the Starting 12 seconds (laughs) Because the Edinburgh—it's like being in the Wicker Man with this thing. No, the no. <laughs> uh, because the Edinburgh Fringe uh, is a testing ground and just historically has become that thing, then there is a huge concentration of, of press officers, PR people. I, I don't know who they all are, uh, uh, who, who who ultimately can make money from it, and uh, I, I think most of them seem to live in London, and they they all arrive in Edinburgh every summer, and. and uh, because it, did, it is an industry and, and, and the industries need people to, to, to work for it so uh, whether that means there are too many I don't know but it probably, it, it probably it quite possibly limits the possibility of spontaneity or it, it, the whole system has become more formalised than it was once it's less possible to be completely eccentric I think in, 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 uh, in a way that it was and I, I, this is an, uh, the a, a tangent but I was the theatre editor at the List magazine in the early 1990s and at that point the comedy circuit was such year round that it wasn't even called comedy it was called cabaret and it was a subject it was a subsection of the theatre section so as uh, the theatre editor I was also responsible for doing the uh, what were then called the cabaret listings and there would be people like Alan Cumming and, and Forbes Masson who were in a double act called Victor and Barry who would play actually typically in theatre venues but like in a bar uh, like the theatre bar or whatever uh, uh, Craig Ferguson who's, who's recently completed a big run as an tele- American television chat show uh, uh, and his sister Lynn Ferguson uh, who was in a double act called the Alexander Sisters but there was a, a small number of people who have gone on to do uh, big things uh, subsequently uh, and eventually a, a, a comedy collective called The Funny Farm uh, was established in, 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 in Glasgow and, and, and Scotland in general uh, with people like Bruce Morton and Fred McCauley was part of that is this recording? have you got any of this? <laughs> I hope so <laughs> am I there now? Uh, we are there now. I am on a big it's, tangent anyway. It's definitely, no, well, no, that's it. I, please do finish it, because I, I have something to say at the end of it. Go okay, so, so I was just talking about, talking about the Funny Farm, and now I'm thinking about it. Some very well-established names, such as Fred McCauley and Bruce Morton, uh, were, were, were part of that. And it was the first signs of uh, comedy becoming something more than just this thing that happened on a Friday night in, in, in some art centre somewhere. 
uh, and and eventually you know the history of I'm talking about Scotland the history of comedy in Scotland uh, was was then uh, people like Karen Curran who runs the Gilded Balloon she was always trying to put on or was putting on things through the year you know maybe someone like Jerry Sadovich she would tour uh, but then subsequently the big success story was the the Stan Comedy Club which now operates in Glasgow Newcastle and Edinburgh with some sort of additional tours around that as well of it as, as its fringe operation and the Glasgow Comedy Festival so all of that has has mushroomed hugely uh, so so that I think it would now be possible to sustain for some people to sustain a career as a stand-up comedian in Scotland in a way that that would just be absurd 20-25 years ago do you mean like independently like on their own or you I mean think with so yeah there's a few people who could do it I mean maybe, maybe they'll be like you having a day job as well as as, as doing doing gigs but you know there are there are gigs to be had Mm. Um, yeah, definitely. There's a circuit that's built yeah, like outside yeah. of the fringe, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I interviewed um, Peter downstairs at the King's Head. I don't know if you've ever been to that gig. And he was talking about how he still sees very much his gig as a cabaret night because he has variety on rather than comedy. Yeah, yeah, but it, yeah. but it, because everyone, because a lot of the acts come down and do something funny, they sort of associate it as a comedy night. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting because he started you know, 25, 30 years ago with that. We've just one night and now he's obviously built it up. And like he said, oh yeah, we we've got a recording studio across the road. So sometimes you know bands will just come across and they'll want to play like a jam session after doing a day's worth of recording, yeah. and we'll put them on at the end. And he's like, I never call it headlining; I always call it at the end because I hate that as well because it's not a, it's not a gig like that. It's yeah, like this kind yeah. of thing. So it's it's very interesting, like how these things have grown up, as it were. Yeah, yeah, and become especially comedy when it was cabaret and now is we sort of have lost that in a way. Mm-hmm. And and. Yeah, and because of the commercial imperative, it's it, it stand one 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 person on the microphone is is about the cheapest form of entertainment you can get, and because it's also very popular when it's when it's big, it's it's a funny mixture comedy. Because I think because you know in some ways it, you can feel a bit cultish if you go to somewhere like the King's Head or the or, or, or the Stand on a Tuesday night, but on another hand, on the other hand, it's Michael McIntyre and it's and it's the, the Palladium and, and thousands of people uh, tuning in to. to you know the repeats on Dave, uh, so it's an odd mixture of, of of the very very mainstream and the opposite of that. Yeah, and I mean a big a big chunk of your book, or a big start, chunk at the start of your book is about. I'm not revealing anything, so don't worry, it's not a spoiler. <laughs> but a big part of the chunk of it was, uh, which I really liked, was setting your target for what you want from Edinburgh. Yeah, because you and I, I'm not putting words in your mouth because it's not the way you describe it. But the way I took it was treat Edinburgh like a springboard for something bigger than Edinburgh which is weird because as a performer I often think Edinburgh is the biggest thing in the year and it's interesting that you say that some people go oh they know that if they nurture this person they can put them on Dave in a few months time or whatever do you think a lot of I mean I assume it's not happening as much in theatre but do you think that's necessarily a good target or like a good thing that's happening because I think the target probably has to just to be realistic and it doesn't really matter the, 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 the point that the book makes which is a, po- a point that the fringe office I've, I've sort of nicked it from the fringe office and the fringe office is very sort of keen on this and I don't know if Neil was saying the same sort of thing Neil McKinnon when, when you interviewed him last week uh, but uh, it's having a sense it doesn't really matter what your ambition is but it's having a clear idea of what that ambition is and, 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 and you know r- realistic ambition so for example if the thing that you want to get out of the fringe as a student uh, com- group of comedy improvisers is to do your show 30 nights on the trot and get laid every night and then you know get drunk that that is is a perfectly worthwhile ambition but a bit <laughs> as you have to know what that and is achievable, and maybe. achievable. Yeah. maybe you can't get laid but you can get drunk for sure <laughs> for sure um and if you, if you if you've decided that that's your ambition 
then you know maybe even writing it down on the piece of paper will then help you make all the all the other subsequent decisions so if your ambition is to get drunk every night and then go back to university to finish your degree uh there why would you spend a thousand pounds on a a, a marketing campaign you know it would make no sense because you wouldn't get any drunker with thousands you could you could spend that thousand pounds on on beer that would be a more useful thing to 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 spend it on uh it might also influence your the money that you spent on accommodation or the you know the whole attitude if you do want to but you know if your ambition is to get a a a series on channel four uh or a pilot or whatever then then all of the decisions you make will will be reflected in that and so for someone like that the money that you spend in edinburgh is an investment on your future career and something that might happen in three years time or you know so you maybe should be budgeting for three years not one year uh so yeah that that was the point i was making in 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 that chapter there just know what your goals are uh, make them attainable and and then answer all the subsequent questions from from that that knowledge Mm. yeah and i really like how it keeps referencing back to it saying remember that goal remember that because i mean for me for example uh, I've got some marketing ideas which I'm not going to reveal on here yet but it's kind of those things where I'm like can I afford this £100 or, and then the question for me because of what my goal aims are for the fringe are not can I afford this £100 it's can I afford not to spend this £100 because I want people to come and see it and because I want something out the end of the other end of it and it's, and it's I, I, I was speaking to a group of um, uh, theatre makers the other day and uh, we, we sort of went through it was like a workshop fringe, Edinburgh Fringe workshop and, and, and I got them to imagine a show just completely off the top of their heads imagine a show that they might bring to the Edinburgh Fringe and then having done that to then imagine how they might go about selling it who they might want to get in their audience who they might want to uh, you know what they might want to do with it afterwards all of those sort of questions and it was interesting that that because artists get used to be they are poor <laughs> they get used to thinking it, it, about money and so on and the ideas that they were coming up with were, were really very modest and they were achievable but you know oh we'll just do three nights we'll we'll do a, it'll just be a one-man show it'll you know everything was very uh, small and I just thought this is a fantasy exercise you could have invented a, a, a 20 strong troupe of, of jugglers and, and, and that would perform for five hours but, but, but you didn't and I think there is a danger of if you always put um, if you always put the, the, the limits at the, fir- at the beginning of your imagination uh, rather than saying I've got this fantastic idea for a show whether it's comedy, folk, theatre whatever it might be then you, you might end up just limiting it, just not really doing the thing that you really want to do. Whereas if you think, well, the thing I really want to do is, and whatever it might be, let's find a way of doing that. Let's find a way of making that possible. And yes, it might cost a lot of money. Yes, it might need you mortgaging the house or whatever, but at least uh, getting, the, getting a sense of what is possible. Or, or, or you might then decide, well, why go to Edinburgh at all? Maybe I, I could achieve the same for uh, more, more con- in, in more conducive terms in some other place that that could be another decision that you make nobody's obliging you to go to edinburgh yeah i think it, it kind of you sort of feel a little bit of a pull factor i feel like everyone around the fringe you know application time yeah regardless of genre goes well it's you know there's applications i might as well apply and then you know decide later on and then by the time you get accepted you go well i've been accepted now i might as well <laughs> you know I mean? show. yeah so it's kind of a weird um 
a sort of vortex that we all get sucked yeah. into. And it's also fantastic. I mean, it's, oh yeah, I'm not criticizing yeah. it at all. Yeah. I couldn't miss it. You know, it's my Christmas. Is there, yeah, yeah, you go yeah. every year. You've, you've yeah, been. well, I live in Edinburgh, and and I think really the reason I live in I, the reason I'm in Edinburgh in the first place was I came to work in the fringe office after after being a student, and I just basically I just stayed. Uh, uh, but but as a result of that, I, I'm not joking when I say it's my Christmas because it does come around every year, and it was the reason I'm there in the first place, and it's very exciting. So, yeah, why, why be anywhere else in the world? I can't. I really don't know where I would be. Yeah. Or why I would be there. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. And uh, in the book, you talked a bit about. Well, we were talking about earlier social media and marketing and strategies and things like that. Um, obviously, since it was 2012, was the book out? Yeah. Yeah. In the last like three years, obviously, social media has become so much more yeah, for performers. Yeah. I mean, how have you seen that evolve since you originally wrote about it? I think it, 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 is, it, it must have changed in that intervening time. We've got Periscope now, haven't we? Have you used Periscope? No. Is that a <laughs> per, social per, media per, thing? Periscope has been bought by, is a company bought by Twitter, and it basically allows, allows you to do what we're doing now, but live uh, on video. So, oh. so it's just a very simple application, and I could be, I, if, right now I could have my phone up and I would be, I haven't actually done it yet, I've watched other people do it. So I'll show you after the interview. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I, whether or not you could do that for your show, I don't know. Um, but... Um, so social media surely has changed in, in, in the time since I wrote the book but probably the principles are a bit uh, are, are similar which is coming back to what we were talking about earlier which is that if you just send out a load of tweets saying come and see my show come and see my show come and see my show people just get very very pissed off with it and, and stop reading your tweets uh, whereas if you find a way of stoking conversation around your work uh, and that isn't necessarily easy to do and some work will probably find itself uh, easier to do but, but make people interested in you um, then, then that could pay off in the long term I'm thinking of an example I did give in the book which is of a friend of mine who was a, who's a jazz singer and she, ju- just as I was writing the book she was also um, uh, doing her, her first Fringe show she's quite an experienced singer but she'd never done a Fringe show before and uh, so it was quite interesting as the, you know, she, we were both sort of comparing ideas with each other as, 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 as we worked towards the, our different deadlines and one of the things that she did uh, she lives in Edinburgh and, one, uh, and she uh, did gigs in people's houses like a, a house party and she would get people to say to invite their friends round and ask them for a, whatever it would be a £5, £10 donation for the entertainment and so she would then have whatever it would be in a party 30 40 people who would hear her set but uh, and, and would pay for her to be there so she could earn a little bit of money to cover her costs not a huge amount but a little bit of amount but then she would then have a group of people who had a vested interest in her show and would then come and see the show afterwards and so if you can generate a basically a fan base in whatever way you can, maybe in your case, telling jokes or you know, 140 character jokes, uh, if that's possible, that just making people interested in you. I, th- I think that's a that's a, 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 an easy and and cheap and a free thing to do if you can think in the right way about it. Yeah, I'm sort of doing that. It's yeah. well. <laughs> sort of slowed down recently, and you sort of have this. I, it's why I've sort of cut down on social media because it, it, you know, you, so you're building a following, you're getting loads of people, and you check it every five minutes, and you go, oh, I got two new followers, yeah. oh, but I lost six or something, and it just does something bad to your your self esteem and your I, psyche, and you. And I do think the thing that I need to keep on reminding myself is that just because you've got 500 people following you on Twitter doesn't mean everybody knows about your book because it, 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 yeah. or your gig or whatever it is. It feels like everybody knows because everybody in your little yeah. close circuit uh, knows about it 
but then I'm always having conversations. Oh, you're writing a book, and you think, surely I've been going on about it forever. But but yeah. but but of, of course, nobody, not everybody is listening to you. And there is there are many people who aren't on Twitter. There are many people who are on Twitter and aren't reading it, and and who missed the things that you were sending out, yeah. or, or Facebook, or whatever it might be. So old school media is uh, uh, old school marketing is um, is still valid, valuable and. I still, I mean, uh, I still have this discussion daily with different brands, where I say, and with people in general, like I'm doing a lot of work with performers at the moment because, you know, because of the book I'm writing, but also just in general. And all the time, you say, I say to them, look, get your get their email address. My favourite statistic of all time, right, in digital marketing terms, is uh, people change their physical address more often than their email address. Is that right? Yeah. 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 So we'll think about it. how many times have yeah. you changed it. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm so yeah. if you, I mean, we might have had, you know. Little Miss, whatever you know, not sixteen, eighteen, four, whatever. You know, like a, a really shitty name with like numbers next to it. We were fifteen, <laughs> but then you change to something legitimate, yeah. and you're stuck with it, and you and you live with that for the rest of your life, essentially. And you know, you but you want to move house a lot, or London house prices mean you have to. So you know, it's it's one of those things where you know if you get their email address, you and also people read their emails. Like I don't read every tweet, but I will read every email. And so you think to yourself, why are people not? doing that more because yeah, yeah, yeah. the, the amount of times I work with brands and you know they you, you send a Facebook message out to 100,000 people and it, only 10,000 people in the analytics have seen it and they go oh but we had 100 why haven't we seen it and I'm like send it to their email and I guarantee they'll bloody yeah, read yeah, it yeah. even if they don't like it and they get really annoyed by yeah. you they'll bloody read it and, and I suppose the only bit of advice there is to make sure that you don't besiege people with so many emails that they just stop reading. They think, oh, here's another one from Simon Cain. I'm not going to read that one because, yeah. you know, he was talking bollocks last time. He's still talking bollocks this time. Uh, you know, it has to be something <laughs> that people might actually want to, uh, to read. Well, yeah, I mean, I've set up a, uh, for this po- for the podcast, I've set up a newsletter for patrons of the podcast. So they'll get like an email telling them what's coming up and yeah. who's coming on and all this kind of stuff. And they can also email me back because it's from my email. Yeah. So they can email me back and say, you know, I, can you ask this person this question for me? And yeah, I'll do yeah. that because they're supporting the podcast either way, but also because, you know, why, you know it's the nice thing to do. And, yeah, adds yeah, that, and yeah. like you said, it adds that dialogue. And that is also, I mean, the amazing thing about Twitter is that, that you can get access to all sorts of people because it is individuals. As far as I know, it is Stephen Fry who was doing his own yeah, tweets. Yeah. So you know, obviously he had so many that I'm, you surely couldn't reply to anybody, but you can have, you can, I mean, people can get in touch with me not that I'm hugely famous or anything but you know that guy who wrote the book you can email me, t- t- tweet me and, and I you know I'll see it and, and I might if it if there might be some reason that it seems to that I might just choose to ignore it but most of the time I'll you know tweet back and, and, and say something back and so th- there's a sort of accessibility which Twitter allows uh, that and, and, and if you've got people's emails as well that, that wouldn't really be possible in a previous generation I don't think yeah totally and do, do you use social media to keep in touch with or keep, keep track of artists and performers you like uh, y- yes or do you keep um, it like professional stuff where you're just following other reviewers yeah. uh, no it'll, it'll be yeah because, because often you find I mean it depends on at, the, at different times in my working life I've had different outlets but, but, and so at the moment I don't for example have uh, a particular need to to, to say I, I can imagine that it might be possible that somebody you know, like the Glasgow Herald might want a column about uh, Scottish theatre gossip they don't but you might, I can imagine that might be a possibility and if that was the case then I would I, I would continue to do what, which, what, what I do just out of interest and say oh look there's a playwright who I know who, who, who is doing something that is not worthy of a press release but is is noteworthy 
uh, you know, that, oh, my play's just opened in Bucharest, you know, that, that there could be that sort of comment that someone will make, which is quite interesting, actually. And, 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 and even if it doesn't lead immediately to an article that I would write, it may well feed into the next time I interview the person and say, oh, I see you've been doing, you know, I, I see you're also a hill runner as well as, a, as a, an actor. You know, there are, there are certain details about your life that, that uh, professional, and, professional and non-professional that... Um, that, that, that may well be interesting. So, so yes, and there's a there's a certain you know in my world of Scottish arts, there's, there are certain discussions which which happen almost exclusively on Twitter. Actually, that, that if if a big a couple of years ago there was a big um, uh, controversy over Creative Scotland, the uh, equivalent of the Scot- uh, the Arts Council, um, and you know all of the conversation was happening in Facebook groups and Twitter conversations and so on, and it was. A lot of pressure was put on that the uh, Creative Scotland at the time from that kind of conversation that was having, and it, it was as if conversations that people previously were having in pubs, where everyone could listen in, and, and and that can get quite embarrassing if you're on the wrong side of the discussion. Yeah, I can imagine. You said in the introduction to your book that everyone should take a show to the Edinburgh Fringe once in their life because it makes it, cause it, it was actually it, Mark Ravenhill who said that in the intro it was, oh, was Mark, it, oh, Mark was Ravenhill it? wrote the introduction but it is true that that, that, that was Forget said alright let's start people often assume that I've written that thing and it's a really good it is a really really good introduction and I'm very very grateful for Mark Ravenhill for writing it but it wasn't me that wrote it however yeah take one show to the Edinburgh Fringe would, you, would a, you still go along with that um, I, I, yeah I've got no reason to disagree with it um, and, and in fact when I did the sh- because I was doing the book I, I, I then thought well this is a bit hypocritical of me for me telling everybody else to go and put on their shows when I hadn't uh, since being a student I hadn't done a show on the fringe myself and so I did do a show related to the book which was um, a chat show basically uh, six performances which you can actually hear if you go to edinburghfringesurvivalguide.com uh, there's an audio link uh, with the podcast's recordings of, of the discussions that I did, which oh, are well cool. worth listening to. Are, uh, I will definitely link to them, um, as, as I do with everybody. <laughs> this, this list at the bottom of your it's, podcast is going to be very, be very long. No, it's what um, they always are. <laughs> and, but it was, it was that experience of doing the, the show in pretty modest circumstances and pretty cushioned circumstances because I did it at the Pleasance and the Pleasance were very Anthony Alderson the Pleasance was very sort of supportive and although I lost money I could have lost a lot more if, 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 if I'd have paid you know the full commercial rate uh, 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 the, that it was it was fascinating to see things put into perspective so for example uh, the business about flyering if you really believe in your show if you, if you, coming back to what we were saying before, if you really know why you're in, in the fringe, uh, then you will really believe in your show because you know why you're there. And if you really believe in your show, then when you meet someone and you want them to come to your show, you will. It won't be a sort of pretend marketing spiel it will be no I genuinely think you should come to see my show because I think this thing will be good for you and it's not a doesn't feel like pretense and it was so much because I really thought my what well, the show I was doing was good and, it, and and I still think that there was I got some fantastic guests uh, and the conversations were interesting and, and because I was pitching it at fringe performers themselves uh, I knew who I, so when I, when I would go up to the high street and I would look not for the audiences who were walking up and down. I would look for the performers who were handing out the flyers because there was, there was, they were my market. And I knew that, that my show would be good for them and I knew that my book would be good for them. So I didn't have any um, hesitation about, about going up to them and, and, and you know, how much effect I had. To, to, you know, as some people I think I saw in the audience afterwards, but it, it had limited effect. But people genuinely seemed, some people seemed genuinely interested in the idea of it. 
Uh, and, and so it was interesting for me, the point I'm making is that it was interesting for me is, is the things that I'd said in theory in the book uh, were then borne out uh, in practice uh, by doing the show. Things... Uh, I, I, I got my local greengrocer to um, sp- sponsor me by providing me with a, a, a tray of fruit every day on the basis that uh, fringe performers don't get enough vitamin C. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it was free fruit for the audience. And, uh, you know, on some occasions there was a bit left over. So I would then go to the box office and they were very grateful to... to in fact, if anybody wants a business suggestion, I think go to the Edinburgh Fringe with a fruit stall because it, it would do so well if you get in, in, in the right location. Uh, so the fringe box, uh, the Pleasance box office staff are very grateful for that. But um, you know, if it, it didn't really apply to me, but if you really wanted to make good relationships with the box office staff, and why wouldn't you? Because they're selling your tickets, then give them a banana and, <laughs> and you'll be away. Oh, definitely. And uh, on your, you, you have um, quite a detailed website for this book. Yeah. Like, like it's and it's even got a bit chapter by chapter of what's included in the chapters. Yeah. Do you, I mean, because we were talking just before we started recording, where you were like, well, you put a book out and then like you get like a sale here, two sales there. And I know that firsthand. It's really, you know what I mean? Is it, are you tracking that? Is that like more, is it, did you put that in from the start? Or is that like something that you thought, well, you know, because you don't, the thing I find interesting about a book, right, is you don't, you don't buy a book because you like the book before you buy it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's not like with, with, with music where you can preview the music and then you go, well, I might buy that now because I want to support that artist. You buy the book because you think the book might be useful to you or you download it illegally and then you go, well, I've read it now, it's done. Do you know what I mean? You don't usually buy it. So was it a case of you thought, well, if I was going to buy this book, I'd want to read chapter by chapter what's going to happen or... Yeah, I think I was thinking of entry points and I don't really know how... You know, I can see statistics for the site as a whole, but I haven't really made much distinction between one page and another. I could probably do that if I looked into it. And I think I, I, I was, it was like a process of logic. I think I should have a website for the book. Uh, I think I should buy edinburghfringesurvivalguide.com. Uh, but what am I going to put on it? And uh, uh, the obvious, you know, if you look at the, the homepage now, it, it's, it's got lots of quotes from what people have said. So that's, I think, probably the most persuasive thing that anybody might need. The, other, the audio thing that I was just telling you about is a nice thing to have. I find particularly now, actually, because it feels like I can be generous to someone. They can say, oh, I, I think I probably did it to your, to, your, to your friend who tweeted me the other day. Uh, uh, they'll say, oh, I've, I've been reading this book. I've really enjoyed it. I'll say, oh, you know, thanks, thanks for reading it. You might also like these things you did podcast. yes yeah and, they, they emailed me and, and said if these that doesn't great. cost me anything they get something out of it for, for nothing and uh, uh does it benefit me i don't know maybe they'll maybe they'll then go and recommend my book to somebody else but 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 it, it's it's an act of generosity and sharing that you, that you can spread around and, and ha- knowing that i've got that it, 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 it is good so it's, it, i think i was just trying to think well what shall i put on this website uh which, which gets around the problem that you're implying i think that I can't just repeat the, the content of the book on the website because then there'd be no point about it. So just to, to make, I suppose, to make it as clear as possible what's actually in this book and whether it's, uh, whether it's for you or not. Because a book called The Edinburgh Fringe Survival Guide could be aimed at audiences rather than as performance. You could, you, you, could get, you could get the wrong end of the stick. So, yeah, I, I, you know, if I did it again, I might do it differently, but that was my thinking at the time. That's cool. Are you planning on doing a second edition or anything? or? Uh, well, it's down to the publishers. If, if, if it sells enough, then uh, the, I mean, the, actually, I did look at it the other day, uh, and because I'd got into my head that so many people have changed jobs, and uh, yeah, for example, at the point I, I wrote it, 
there was a very, very strict embargo on when the Fringe programme came out in, in June, but now there's stuff already on the, on the website for, for 2015. Um, uh, so that, you know, there are details like that that changed. But I looked, at, I sort of skimmed through it and I realised actually the basic message of it is, is, is still the same. So there's not a, it doesn't feel to me that there's an urgent need to update it. Uh, but if if I did update it, I would be able to say, you know, former, uh, you know, person who used to do this job is now this, or or maybe, you know, do a fresh set of interviews. But I interviewed something like seventy people for, for it, and and I knew at the time that I could interview a completely different seventy people who would all say things that were both different and the same, which is like the the basic message would be the same, the detail of everybody's experience would be different. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. Every, everyone has a different fringe. Yeah. 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 And yeah. you all have something to say about it. <laughs> yes, for better or for worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was a really good bit about, because um, like I said, for last year for me, budgeting was so key because I knew I was never going to make anything out of any of it. Yeah. And you had a really good chapter on uh, day-to-day budgeting as well as overall budgeting for the show. And I mean, do you think, because a lot of performers came back last year, especially com- comedians, and they just were in debt regardless of the fact they, they sold out a lot of shows. Yeah. Do you think that was a, a thing that maybe had an impact on it or do you think that's just something that performers don't... Because you're up there and you just get into the, the vibe of the fringe and you just forget that you maybe need to budget every day? Or Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tricky thing and it's, and it's easy for me to be arrogant and sort of say, oh, yes, you, should, but you, should, you, you shouldn't go home with less money than you thought you would do. But I, I think the, the, the fringe office's line is that, you know, be realistic about your targets. Expect, you know, don't expect to get more than 30% attendance or 40%. It's quite a low figure you, you, you would set yourself in terms of box office and so on. Uh, anticipate all of those other problems and and and, and you know if you if you're doing it on a and, and on anything less than a professional level to, to think of it as a holiday and 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 uh, you know you would if you went to Tenerife you would have a certain amount of money for flights and accommodation and and food when you got there and beer and whatever else so it shouldn't be any different to that you you spend the money but you you, you don't spend you don't you shouldn't need to mortgage a house you should if you should be in control of of, of that um, but of course, things happen. So it is—it is expensive. You shouldn't—you should go in with your eyes open, I suppose. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and was it a case of you wrote the book and then you went to a publisher, or they came to you and said we'd like you to write a book? Or uh, what was the? No, what, what happened is I have a, a man of many websites. I have a website called theatrescotland.com, and um, Anna Brewer, who's my editor at Matthew and Drama, had, it was her idea. She'd had this idea. She thought there should be a book about uh, about how to do a show on the fringe. And she got, I think she got in touch with a number of people with a proposal that she'd drawn up. And on spec, not knowing me, she got in touch with me via my website. So this is an example. We were talking about the benefits of social media or whatever. If you've got a website, maybe the editor from Matthew and Drama will get in touch with you with this idea. And uh, initially it was just, um, I'll, I'll give you, I'll, I'll, for a small amount of money, would you like to... Um, comment on on this brief that i've come up with so i said well that's you know i can i can do that uh and she had a number of questions about how the, how such a book whether such a book was viable but how how it should be structured and uh one of her questions was well who should write this book and should it be one person or many people and of course i think i said before i'm a you know a freelance writer gun for hire <laughs> so my natural response was i think one, one person, person should do it and i think it should be me <laughs> and i think you know my boldness <laughs> slightly took her aback but she 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 she, she she went with it and so uh, it does feel like the book I was born to write in many ways because I have lived and breathed the fringe for so long uh, but uh, yeah, it, it sort of came by fluke and I hadn't hadn't planned to write a book and I didn't, I didn't you know a book is a big thing and, uh, and, and then oddly 
once once you do do this big thing, and I, I remember thinking when the book was you know nearly completed, oh, I think what well, I wonder what my next book will be. <laughs> Suddenly, this thing becomes possible. I, I imagine it's like doing your first hour-long set on on, on, on the uh, anywhere. You, you kind of think, well, I wonder what my next on, our long set will, will be. And so uh, that was the point when I just sent an email back to, to Anna again saying, would you like a book about theatre criticism? And I think my um, email was no longer than that. And she said, yes. And so that <laughs> one came out of that. So a bit, again, you were talking about uh, the book that you were doing and, and it was very much on a sort of casual conversation like that. That sounds like a good idea. Let's go for it. Yeah, mine was, mine was a lot more casual than yours, it sounds. <laughs> mine was just literally... I. I wrote for them for a bit and then they said do you want to write well I, I didn't even say do you want to write a book I said I've written a book do you, which was half true at the time if I'm honest because mm-hmm. I'd written I'd written enough of the outlay of the book that I knew it could be a book fill it in yeah. do you know what I mean yeah. like I'd already I'd done, I'd, I'd done the contents page which I find the easiest thing to do in the book at the start to make sure you've got the chapters and then I'd bullet pointed out what I want to do in each chapter and I'd probably written like two out of every five bullet points in the whole thing so I'd sent them a, a chunk of work and then they could see what else I wanted to write about and then they said oh we'd love to buy that and that was the whole conversation and I feel like we're painting a very bad, like, re- easy picture of... Because <laughs> I've got friends of mine who've got book ideas. They've been desperate. <laughs> and they're going to be sitting there going, well, I'll just email them then. I'll just go, I've got a book. How about this? And, yeah, I, and... It, it's, it's a, it is a strange, it is a strange, strange thing, but I think probably that thing about it's not what you know, it's who you know. Well, actually, it's both, isn't it? You need to you need know You need to know stuff. something, yeah. And, uh, or your book will be shit. But, but, <laughs> but, having a, and, but I think, you know, to bring it back to the fringe and to, 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 to the people who might be listening to this podcast, the people who, if you're a performer, wanted to do a show on the fringe, it's very easy, or anywhere, it's very easy to imagine that the reviewers, the venue managers, the uh, agents any of these people that you might want to be dealing with and engaging with in your professional career you might very easy to imagine that these people are uh this sort of group of monsters who who are only in it for themselves have no interest in you uh, are are some other alien species but actually almost universally we're all doing it because we really like it i mean i I like going to the theater i like i want to see good stuff whether it's comedy theater whatever it might be and i think that is generally true if you're if you're if you're if you're running a venue why wouldn't you want good shows in your venue so if you've got a good if if you want a good if if you've got a good show come to the venue uh, that wants to put on good shows why what so so you've got if i want to write as a journalist i want to write about interesting stories why would if you've got an interesting story why wouldn't i want to write about you of course, there are many people who don't have interesting stories whose who, 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 who shows might not be that very journalistically interesting. But, but uh, I, I think, on the whole, people are receptive to the possibility that something good might be uh, happening. And if you genuinely believe that you've got something good, then, then why not? Oh, definitely. No, I, uh, one of the, I'll tell you how this podcast started, because I don't think anyone has, I've told anyone this before. <laughs> right? I got really annoyed at the end of The Fringe last year because a few a few agents came to see me, a few reviewers came to see me, and uh, you know after sort of they you know left the show, I sort of said, oh, do you want to go for a drink? Do you want to hang out? And they'd all be like, yeah, sure, whatever. And obviously, as the fringe happens, never it doesn't always happen. And I sort of got a bit like, I I would really genuinely like to get to know some people. I'd really like to actually spend time with people who I'm hoping to have a long term you know either friendship with or, or uh, workmate friendship with. Yeah. And also. 
you, as in your case, someone who's been doing it for 25, 30 years, have so much information that I'm sure, like you, you you're in, I'm assuming you're enjoying this right now. That you, that <laughs> I'm love actually to tied it. down to the chair <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> well, no, but it's just, it's just this wisdom and information that um, doesn't always have an outlet for. And I feel like it's useful for a lot of people. And then you, and, and it just feels like there's nowhere for that to come out. And so I thought, I know what I'll do, I'll stop. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'll spend an inordinate And I think, I think there just needs to be more of it because I'm, I'm sort of continually surprised, I suppose, that people come and you see them on Facebook, you see them on social media, you see them in, in uh, fringe roadshows in particular, where people are asking these questions that, that I'm thinking, didn't I answer that last year and didn't I answer the year before? There is a, there is a, a sort of sum of knowledge, but many people don't have that, 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 that knowledge and... Uh, I, I know some stuff. Uh, you know, so you've had experiences yourself. You know other stuff. But uh, passing on that knowledge, it feels—it does actually feel quite good when you say, when someone has a question and you have the answer to it. It just—it feels nice. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, it, other than your book, obviously, which books or which recommended reading material or even just media in general would you recommend people look up if they actually, were looking the, the, at doing the, the, a show? The thing that I'm often surprised about is how little some people make use of the fringe office the fringe the, the fringe society is just a fantastic opportunity and pe- people say, you know you often get people saying oh it's outrageous i have to pay whatever it is 300 pounds 400 pounds to join the fringe society because uh, p- partly because all they see is is the entry in the fringe program and and they and they, they that, that seems like a lot of money uh, but actually what you're paying what that 400 300 pounds is covering is the whole box office uh opportunity to actually sell your tickets but not just that uh, there is a a wealth of the sort of shared knowledge that we're talking about which is open to you at any time that you want to whether in person or over over the phone or whatever it might be Uh, people can talk about your you know give you advice about venues give you advice about marketing and also give you advice about your future career there's a a really uh, good welcoming dedicated team of people who know a lot of stuff at the fringe office and uh, in addition to all the um, PDF things you can download off, off the fr- from the performer section of the Fringe website. And, you know, my, my book is, has, has given colour to, to uh, a lot of the, 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 the standard information that the Fringe office produces. But basically that information is, is the stuff that you need. Uh, so, yeah, start with the Fringe office and, don't, and, and make use of it because you're paying for it. Yeah, Neil, when I had Neil on, uh-huh. uh, he was just the first thing he said to me was, "It's just not getting used." Yeah. Like it was literally the. F- I was like, "What do you mean?" And he just went, "Well, we do, we we have a full service PR section. We have you know links with journalists and recruiters and recruiters, reviewers uh, and, and all kinds of stuff. And no one no one ever comes to us or talks to us or, or yeah. Does, it's, it's not exactly that nobody does, but but because and the people who who do use it make very very good use very very yeah. good use of it. And Fringe Central, um, which is the venue of the Fringe Office, runs during the fringe itself it's always very buzzy with, with with people around but i just know i think i think sometimes what might happen is that if you've got a you know say you've got a sketch comedy group with four people in it that one of them will probably be the one who fills in the form and makes contact with the with the fringe office and then consequently the other three and the technical person uh, are a little bit out of the loop and not even aware that that is a thing that could happen and that's the only thing, that's my only explanation because it's a it's a fantastic service and you're paying for it anyway Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, that's pretty much answered everything. Everything, everything, <laughs> everything to do with the French. Well, there was—I mean, there was a few other tiny things, but I don't know how much you want to answer things like about the free fringe because I'm assuming that you—that would be mainly your leisure going to that rather than. 
Yeah, um, well, you can probably tell me more about it than I can tell you. Okay, Maybe that's that. what people want to know. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, there was oh, no, the one thing I could say about the free fringe is linking back to something I was saying earlier, which is about where you're positioning yourself as an artist and uh, the value of the free fringe is that it's free and that's a very very good thing and you can get experience and so on but it, it but it, it it might and i stress might also be projecting something about where you position, see yourself in the in the sort of hierarchy of performers and, and are you a professional or are you an amateur you know that that, that question could be in, in the air and so you might think well yes of course it will cost more to do uh, the fringe in a different way but maybe that is actually what i should be doing as a professional that's interesting because because a lot of uh, comedy reviewers I've spoken to have said that the uh, gen- especially the general audience and them, themselves because they go to everything um, the perception has changed quite a lot recently yeah, with that the free is true. fringe that is true as well so yeah. I mean and there's a lot of um, because of the cost of the big four for yeah. example a lot of them have moved back to the free fringe because they get just as good rooms yeah. Although, yes, you sort of have to deal with a lot of stuff yourself because you don't have the PR help and you don't have all that other stuff. But then if you have a good show, there's always that to say, yeah. if your show's good enough, it can... And you can do other mouth. things. Uh, Phil, yeah. Phil Jupiter's has done his paid-for yeah. shows, but he's done his, his shows at the Jam House, I think, um, yeah. as Porky, Porky the, the Poet. Yeah. 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 So that was good, I like yeah. that. So I am making a huge generalisation. I'm, <laughs> I'm not even... Maybe I'm not even making a generalisation. I'm just saying it's a question to think about where, do, where, you, where you see yourself. Are you a pleasant sort of performer... Are you a Gilded Balloon sort of performer? Are you a Free Fringe sort of performer? It's a, it's a, it's not a right or wrong answer to it, but it's, it's a question that you should ask probably. There was one other thing I was going to say actually. Um, do you, well, you, given you have been going to the Fringe, how many years now? Twenty since eighty six. Eighty six. So twenty eight years. I'm twenty. That was my birth year. That's the only reason I'm good at math. Keeping track of it. Yeah. So twenty eight years. Do you do you think there's a reason why the comedy section? has built up so much do you think it's like a chicken and egg that you know we, we as performers are going there so the industry follows it or we're going up there because the industry are going up there or and do you, and in a way do you think it's not bullying but do you think there's there's a certain element that the comedy is sort of pushing out other areas of arts that yeah well it's it, 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 i've said this already in terms of the, the cost of it it is cheaper to have one person and a microphone than 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 someone trying to put on a Shakespeare play, for example, uh, and in addition to that, comedy is popular. So, so if, you, if you're trying to minimise your risk as a as a as a, as a fringe promoter, then the then it would seem that there is less risk putting one person on the microphone and getting a big audience than than putting on an unknown piece of theatre involving several people. The costs have to go around there. Um, I will say. Uh, in in defence of theatre, if you if you look, at, I mean, the, when I was first going to the Fringe, the theatre was the biggest section. But even now, if you if you look in, in purely in terms of numbers, the if if you added the Fringe, uh, if you added the theatre section with the say the kids section, kids generally dramatic form, uh, cabaret has recently become a separate section. Is it comedy? Is it theatre? There's a sort of black grey area there. And uh, dance and physical theatre has a lot of things that you would call theatre within it. And if you add those things together, this is a bit like the election coming up. You know, if you add all the all the all the minor parties together, you actually get a bit. It is still bigger than comedy. If it's it, and and it's not theatre on its own is not that much smaller than the comedy section. So so there is a big. Uh, you know, it's still vastly more than you could ever see. So I, I never complain about the amount of theatre that there is there. Although some people say, oh, comedy's got too dominant. I, I kind of think, well, have you have you not got enough theatre? Is that a problem for? 
for you. So, uh, so, so why comedy has got? So, but comedy has become an industry in a way that. It, it, it was a bit more ramshackle previously. It would be, it would, I guess, it would be more Oxford and Cambridge footlights, wouldn't it? That would be more of that would be the route to comedy success in the, or, or, or even before that, variety theatre or whatever. That would be the way you would become a successful comedian. Morecambe and Wise would come out of the the, the end of the pier sort of route, um, but now it now there is a route which people like you can 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 walk down. And, Run down, well, I'm looking to see forward to seeing your show on Dave in, in, in 2016. <laughs> You'll be wait- well. That's optimistic. It's <laughs> great. Well, thank you very much for coming on. You're very welcome. Thank you. That was Mark. I learned so much from him. Like I can't even tell you what an honour it was to sit down with someone with that number of years behind him. Uh, in the fringe and in reviewing and in editing and just everything and learn exactly what it took to get his book out exactly what it took to get his book out exactly what it took to, to or exactly what he gets out of the fringe and like you said it's like it's Christmas so it's it's such it's so lovely to meet people I mean I feel like I haven't really met anyone yet who just doesn't love what they do in this and that's something that I'm really learning like from an outsider point of view and I'm sorry any reviewers that are listening from an outsider point of view as a performer who has been going about four and a half nearly five years you sort of think sometimes like reviewers you get those kind of cliches of reviewers are failed comedians reviewers are people that couldn't make it as comedians or all that crap and all that crap and the more you talk to them and the more you spend time with them and the more you just ask them genuine questions out of actual interest you realize that they're just people that love comedy and they and they just want to do the best job they can to help everyone out and um he's obviously a theater reviewer so it's slightly different in that we've got to have a bit more of a candid conversation about stuff because it's not a vested interest for him as it's such but um theater suffers from a lot of the same problems that comedy suffers with in the fact that it's so saturated up there in edinburgh and the, the fringe and it, it's just amazing to have had such a lovely conversation with such a well-rounded and educated person on the subject so thank you so much for coming on mark that was amazing um quick things to remind you of if you're gonna buy the edinburgh fringe survival guide please do it through the book link on the website or in the show notes of the podcast um it really helps out the show i get about 10p a book and like i said before it doesn't cost you any more it's an amazon affiliate link it just means they give me a cut of the sale that they were going to get profit from so please do that my show again it's been moved Please, if you're going to come and see me in Edinburgh, it is at Just the Tonic Caves. It's in the spare room at the caves. That's the name of the room I'm in. It's at 7.30pm every night except the 18th and the 24th. There's 60 seats, but it's free fringe. So please come. You can pay what you want on exit. It's like a bucket donation thing. Speaking of donations, feel free to give me a PayPal donation on the website. Whatever you think this podcast is worth. If you listen to 10 episodes and you think they're all worth a pound, give me £10. If you've listened to all of the episodes, please send me £22 if you think they're worth a pound. Or if you think they're worth more than that, please send me more than that. If you don't want to do it that way, the crowdfunding way that I'm doing it at the moment is Patreon, where you can give as low as $1.00 per episode um please do it if you can um don't don't donate if you can't honestly they're free they will always be free but if you can give a dollar an episode which is 90p or something and i get 80p at the end after the site's taken their cut 
It really makes a difference, and it gives me this budget for the show, which really, really takes away the sting of taking off a day to go and talk to someone and to edit the podcast and all this stuff. They take about 12 hours to do, so like it's it's not a short task, and to put the show notes up and make the imagery for the site and everything, it's a lot of effort. So if you've appreciated the effort, please do take a minute to have a look at the Patreon page. Please go and have a look at the Patreon page. You can find the link on the website. Um, and also join the Facebook group. Sorry, that was something else I didn't mention before. Join the Facebook group. We're always sharing stuff in there. I'm announcing new guests in there. It's the best place to get the most real-time information about stuff that I'm talking about to do with the podcast, and also I'm hoping to encourage more industry discussion in there about new guests and about things that are happening as they're happening. So uh, that's called Ask the Industry Podcast, of course, and it's on Facebook. Um, So thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for sharing the links and for continuing to spread the word about this podcast. It really helps. It can't survive without your support. So please do keep the community going and growing. That's so lovely of you. Thank you very much for sharing. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you so much for your support. And next time I'll see you where we will have comedian Beck Hill coming on talking about the Edinburgh Fringe talking about her experiences uh, at creating a fringe audience and uh, what the fringe means to her in terms of a business side, so what she gets out of doing a show every year and how she makes money on an alternative circuit, as in not just the big clubs. She makes her living through uh, independent clubs and uh, putting together shows on her own and, and also doing a lot of open mics so she can prepare for her shows. It's, it's a really fascinating podcast and I can't wait to bring it out. It'll be out, about, it'll be out in about seven, eight, nine days. Um, so thank you so much for listening again. Bye. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.